0: Welcome to the Weekly Stuff Podcast with Jonathan Lack and Sean Chapman. We are here to talk about stuff this week on the show. Not E3 2020 continues apace with the Xbox Game Showcase. Did not mean to make that rhyme, but hey, that's how we roll. (laughs) Uh, We will be talking about Xbox's second Not E3 2020 event where they focused on first-party games. Um, doing a, a little other odds and ends We're going to yep. be talking about Ghosts of Tsushima um, Which neither of us have beaten Because it is extraordinarily long Yes, it is an open world game Yes, uh, but we will talk more in depth about it And maybe do some light spoilers here and there I don't think there's anything major I've played so far That I would call a giant spoiler Yeah, it's yeah, a, one, one twist
1: Yeah, there's not like a huge amount
0: of plot twist yeah. It's just not that kind of story that No. Much. Um, so, so far um, I'm still enjoying it yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's great. Really good game. I probably have a few more, like, because I've played more of it, I can say more things I, I wish were a little different, but, like, that's not... I hate it now. It's yeah. just, I have a more full view of the game, but it is still a definite recommendation. So we'll be talking about all of that, but Sean, let's begin today uh, with something we haven't done in a couple weeks. Yeah. Let's do the Cast. Yes. cast time. cast
1: 2020 is back. Yeah, I mean, it never really left. It's just... there. We couldn't do every podcast in open with 30 minutes of us just going, man, everything is bad, huh? Yeah. So, everything is bad. Yes, everything is still bad.
0: Yeah, so I wanted to ask, so, so, you know, you're a public school teacher. Yes. And this has been in the news a lot because there's a whole lot of wrangling over that going on. Uh And, um, I mean, what is your district planning on doing because i know there's been a lot of flip-flopping
1: yes it's it's really confusing because it's and so at the beginning of summer break in may they released the original draft of what they called the restart plan which is this is like guidelines that we're going to try to follow probably when we come back um and they released that to everybody and we're like hey we want feedback And the original draft and the original idea that seemed like the district was pushing was a hybrid model um, so that you would have probably every teacher would be teaching both some in-class like person-to-person stuff and also online sections. The main reason being that in order to open up schools again and have any in-person learning, you have to have a small number of people in each room right you have to have like 10 or less basically and decades
0: of classroom overcrowding has made yeah. that
1: yeah very easy because my average classroom size is about 25 students so that's not you can't just yeah you know you have to reduce it by over like half right so i need more than half of my students need i to just be like the separated.
0: idea of going out in the woods teach nathaniel hawthorne that way it's great yes
1: it would not be distracting or horrible at all and have like the wind blowing the pages all around and fucking paper flying all over the place and getting rained on how it was meant to be yeah i love when people offer the idea of like oh you could just have classes outside like you've never taught fucking anything in your life you have no idea how much of a fucking nightmare that would be And whenever I think back to the handful of times in college or high school where a teacher was just like, fuck it, we'll do class outside. And it was... Oh, it never went well. Yeah, it's
0: like, it just, it might have been fun, but you didn't learn anything. No, as a student, it was great because you know what? You weren't learning. You weren't doing work.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so we have obviously limited resources, limited space, a lot of students, not enough teachers. And so the idea was, let's do a hybrid thing. And that is how we will manage to have... Um, the same number of staff because you know we're not getting any more um, and be able to basically have half the student number of students per class so that was the original idea Um, apparently parents didn't like that idea because the a few weeks ago we got this is what we're really going to do once schools open up Um, and this is the finalized version of the restart plan it was like it's going to be 100% in class person to person you're just you're just doing your teaching and obviously they were like and there's all going to be all these measures taken in place to make sure that it's safe like having less than half of like your normal student population per class and stuff like that and they're just like and we're just going to do it and you read the plan you're like i don't know if you've ever taken a math class people who created this plan but you can't have the same number of teachers, the same number of rooms, the same number of hours per day in the school and have half the number of students per class and still just have that function. That's just not a thing that can work. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, but the, you know, the feedback was like parents were like, oh, we just don't want to have to – we just want you guys to deal with it, um, which I get it. I get that's where you're coming from, but if you want that to happen, we would have had to spend the entire summer um, hiring teachers – and leasing out buildings to serve as additional classrooms like yeah you know what people
0: of colorado if you wanted that from your teachers maybe you could have voted for any of the maybe 20 tax increases we've had on the ballot the last 20 years that never go through because we have this horrible law called Tabor. look it up where the voters have to approve every tax increase and every time it's like hey this will add one cent to your fucking bill and maybe teachers will get but your schools will have resources we're like nope 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 Everyone thinks Colorado is this super liberal state, and it is in some ways, but not in, like, actually supporting kids and families.
1: Yeah, so it's it's rough. Yeah, and, like, Colorado is one of the worst funded public education systems yeah. in any of the states in the United States. It's, like, in the bottom ten. Um, I think it's maybe in the bottom five. So, yeah, so it's all that's... What, and I just, like, looked at that plan and, like, okay then, uh, sure. And there's all this, like, weird stuff of, of students are sort of assigned into they keep on using the word cohort um which I love I love that we can't just use the word group like groups of students they're cohorts of students basically the idea being that you subdivide students into cohorts so that they can um if one of them is infected with COVID it would only spread to their cohort likely instead of the broader student population to you know reduce the vector of spreading so there was lots of measures like that But you just looked at it And I just could not get my head around How the thing would actually function And then several days ago Kind of out of the blue I just got an email that was shot to basically everybody On the Jeffco uh, mailing list And so I was like So our school district just said Hey, everybody's just going to find this out right now Uh, We're not going to do that Instead we're going to go We're going to do two weeks of remote learning At the beginning of the semester um, Then uh, like elementary basically students will phase in um through or will go like faster to in-person learning uh high school students will do more hybrid stuff and will be a more prolonged going back into the building and then at some point maybe in september we will do all in-person learning and then shortly after i got that email in my school email i got an email from the principal that was just like if you didn't read that email from the district you should read that in a way that was like this is a very sudden decision um that just got shot out very quickly um mostly i think because um denver public schools which is the biggest in terms of student population served uh school district in the state cuz it's the school district in the capital um they decided to do the same thing of go remote learning and then look at ways to phase into in class stuff um over the course of the semester and so, as soon as another school district did it, then my district was like, "Well, now we can now 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 we don't have to like kowtow to this like ridiculous demand from um, some of the parents and just say no.
0: This is what we have to do because, of course, it's fucking what we have to do." Yeah, I mean, accepting that there are no good solutions. Oh yes, no. I mean, there there's no, no. This seems like the most responsible yeah. of the no good solutions.
1: Yeah, there's. So it's like obviously, I understand why it is hard to have remote learning being a, a thing from a parent's point of view, but there's no other way to do it. Like you can't just have everybody going in class, right? There is all this stuff that was going around for so long. That was so obviously bullshit about how, Oh, high school kids, they can't get it and they won't be a vector for it. And it's just like, I, how, what are you basing this on? And then there was, I mean, there was lots of data that indicated that wasn't the case, but then South Korea published a massive study that yes. very firmly confirmed. No, that's horseshit. They can get it as much as adults will get it, and they will serve as vectors in many ways more so than adults yes. were
0: because they're less symptomatic.
1: Yes. So yeah. So they're go- they're less likely to be heavily symptomatic, and then they're also more likely to not there... take additional measures to make sure they're not infecting other people.
0: Yeah. There's been so much bunk bullshit science about this that makes me so mad. Like all the stuff, like oh well, kids just can't get it. It's like no. Younger people are more immune to it and have generally less severe symptoms. Yeah. But we shut down schools first, so we really just don't know what it looks like when uh-huh. kids get it. That's the answer, right? Yes. So, like, and, and and either way, even if kids couldn't, like, die from it, which they can, and we don't want the kids to die, their teachers can get it, and their, and their, their teachers' families can get it, and their families can get it, their fucking grandparents can yeah. get it. Yeah, the
1: whole point of everything that we're doing is not to like save individual people is to shut down vectors of infection as thoroughly as possible. Because yes. that's the only way to not make it so that like 70% of the population dies, yeah. right? And then you I get mean, your herd
0: immunity bullshit. The school thing is so frustrating to me, Sean, because I agree, like like we all agree, schools should be able to open. It is so important for kids to be able to be in school, right? It is so important for parents not to have to take care of their kids all day and to be able to go to work and things like that, yeah. right? It is important. But we didn't prioritize it. We prioritized opening bars for some fucking reason. And then it went haywire. So we just can't the way we would like to. We just can't. We fucked up. That's the bottom line. And people don't get this. And it's infuriating. And... Yeah, I mean, right now I do think priority number one should be figuring out what to do societally so you can get schools open. I think mean, part of that should be a massive influx of funding into schools, including yeah. paying instructors way more as frankly hazard pay, which we should have been doing anyway for grocery baggers and and checkout clerks and all sorts of other essential workers who we used to think of as expendable and now we know are not. Yeah, and it's bullshit. Um, so I'm I'm man, Sean, it's it sucks. You know, my school, so University of Iowa i mean Iowa's bad right now and it's getting worse um their plan is still basically unchanged which is that classes over 50 will be online classes less than 50 will be in double capacity rooms so you can spread out of course the hallways are not double capacity yeah. and they're not rebuilding the dorms and they're making the freshmen go live in the dorms even though hey guess what kinds of classes freshmen take ones with more than 50 people yes. which means they could just be at home Safe, yeah, and not in a goddamn cess pit, which is what dorms are. I've lived in a dorm. You've lived in a dorm. There is no way to make that safe. No, yeah, zero. It is yeah, it is physically impossible yes. unless
1: Iowa like has the most luxurious dorms
0: of all time. They don't. It's impossible. It's uh, it's such hot bullshit. And 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 I come at this from you know there's a there's a lot of i'm part of we have a we have a very good union at the university of iowa for grad student workers um it's why we have relatively good pay and benefits but you know they're very much agitating for obviously a lot of this work is going to fall on grad students and that's dangerous and all this um but i i just feel i'm just worried for those all those fucking freshmen yeah and that and then that's going to become every one of those kids that gets infected is going to be a massive vector of transmission as you say so it's all a fuck goddamn
1: yeah, and it's it's just really frustrating because back in May when I saw the original restart plan and I read it because it's very much the thing of like they draft this plan and then they release it, and then the people who are actually involved in like acting out what the plan says read it and go, well, this is nothing right it's like it's nice to say this, and then we'll have. 10 students per classroom and we'll do this cohort thing and they will do this that and the other and you read this it, like and we'll like test every student that comes into the building and, and blah 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 with or like not like covid test but take their temperature and all that and you read it it's like how though like yes like these are all really smart measures i agree that these are things we should be doing but um we the school that i worked for released a fact after the restart plan came out that was like here are like questions that our staff had that they sent to um our administration and we have like answers to these questions and most of them and i get why like this is not to blame the administration because there's nothing else they can do but most of the answers were just like either we don't know or we will just try our best and we'll do this and and like it was the one question was um in order to Test all the staff and students coming into the building, and and have take their temperature at the in the morning. Um, the, will we be allocated more resources and staff and like it's a places to do this? And they're like, well, we'll figure out where we'll do it in the building. Um, but we are not going to hire any more people Because we don't have money to hire any more Like we're
0: lucky that we're not firing yeah. a bunch of people Because we have less money Hey can I just give you the stats really quick Yeah Colorado has the 10th lowest public school spending In the United States yeah. It's only $9,700 per pupil And we have the 6th lowest high school graduation rate Yeah So just if you want to know what we're working with Yes yeah. So it's bad And
1: and it's just reading that It's like well you can't say We're going to take the temperature Of every single person in the building and then also be like, we have one school nurse. <laughs> <It's> yeah. Like, <laughs> Congratulations. You know, at least the staff, they're like, well, you guys will just take your own temperature. You'll write it down on a logbook. I'm like, how is one person going to take the temperature for, or even if like you train like our security people. Okay. We have four people doing it. There's, you know, how, how, how. And it's just like reading that restart plan. And it makes me think too, in May, my original feelings on this were, we should just commit to remote learning because it's the only thing that we can like know that we can do, right? It's like if we had spent the summer really like committing to, we are going to do remote learning at least for the first half, however long. We know when we come back, it's going to be remote learning. And you commit to creating a plan, providing resources to families. Um, devices to students and that kind of stuff and like spend read...
0: the teachers spend the summer training and do yes. workshops and yeah.
1: yeah all of the energy we spent sort of going like well what if we did this that and that and the other thing and came up with like six different contingencies in what if we found the... a
0: street rat in agrabah and made him go into a cave and find a genie yeah and then we ask three wishes and if we ask these three wishes
1: yeah exactly like all the stuff that we came up with like all the other stuff we could do and instead spend all that money and time and effort on committing to yes. a really effective version of remote learning rather than the which like we have a better plan that i guess they say that we have a better plan i haven't actually seen what their revised version of remote learning is yet eventually they'll get that out to us uh like i have to report to work in two weeks so we'll find out um uh but yeah so like apparently they have something but if we had really committed to it then we could have had some form of control over what we were doing rather than just being utterly at the whims of all this bullshit that we can't handle and it's just, like, I feel like that was my feelings and a lot of other teachers I know working at the school were, like, this is... I know, Obviously, this far from ideal for parents and families and stuff like that. But it's, from my point of view, it's like, this is the only way you can possibly do it. Well, because specific. everybody knew we would go to remote learning. You looked at the way that America was handling it in May and it was like... We're not going to, like, you fix it over the... You look at president. It's yeah. easy. It's, we're yeah. not going to fix it over the summer. It's like, it's, it, wasn't, it was clear it was never going to get better. And it's so funny to just be here now and, and go through this, like, really saying we we're going to go in person and believe in, like, that being the message for a week and then being like, actually, we really obviously can't do that. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Like, joke. Yeah, no, we're going remote learning. I'm like, great. Of course, this is where we we're always going to be.
0: It's, I mean, and there's so many things. Like, what if you just focused on, okay, all high school students are remote. High school students can take care of themselves. Yeah. Do that. Then, if you wanted to keep the, the, the elementary and middle school population in school, you would have those buildings. Or yes. something like that. Like, exactly, There's yeah. all sorts of ways you could be creative about this. And obviously, on the national level, if at any point we had just done a strict, like if right now, strict four-week national lockdown, true lockdown, everything yeah. shut down. and And then
1: in funneling
0: resources into testing and tracking yeah Yeah. Yeah. get that up we come back national mask mandate because mask mandates work and you know how i know that sean because a week ago when we recorded this podcast no one's wearing masks anywhere in fucking colorado i am i don't see up people in other stores like maybe one or two i said employees but not a lot of customers not a lot of people outside we got a mask mandate this week i had the fucking alert on our phone like an amber alert and today everyone i saw everywhere masks So this stuff works. You make something a law. Hey, guess what? People follow it. Yeah. You know? That's why we don't allow murder. (laughs) That's why the streets are not filled with blood. Yeah. You know? And, like, you just do that. And and we could fucking suppress this thing and then figure out. And then you don't start by reopening bars and movie theaters. You start by figuring out how do we get schools open? How do we increase hospital capacity? This is not... it's, It's like COVID is at once the biggest, you know... Um, logistical struggle of our times and yet it is not that hard. And like, it's yeah, not it's nearly like, as hard as we make it. Yeah, because the, there are lots of countries that have...
1: I mean, you know, they are not just, like, over it because there's the threat of it coming back, but, yeah. like, countries like South Korea, that, like... They're fine. Yeah, they're fine. They're fine. Like, and if there's a second wave, they can deal with it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's extraordinarily frustrating and it's just... It's frustrating and, like, darkly hilarious seeing the, like this like thing of people just being like, yeah, we're going to open the movie theaters. We're just like, we're doing it. Christopher Nolan, ten is just, blah, blah, blah. and then it's like, and then when the time comes to actually do it, and they keep on saying they're going to do it, it's like, we're going to do it in like two months or whatever. And then the time comes, they're like, uh, no, 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 no. And it's just this like desperate urge for things to want to be normal. So they keep on saying, well, it'll be fine in two weeks. It'll be signed in three weeks, a month, two months, and it's just started passing the buck down, and then when the time comes did say to like when it's supposed to have been fine, and clearly it's not, they're like, "Okay, fine, we're not going to release Tenant in the movie theaters." Of course, we're not. Yeah, of course, we're not.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's insanity. It's like we're living in an Armando Iannucci show, like The Thick of It or Veep, mm-hmm. but instead of like petty political scandals, it's a plague, mm-hmm. and and it's but with that level of well even even uh, the people in in Armando Iannucci shows are mildly competent in yeah. some cases we don't we don't have that we do not have a peter capaldi uh esque figure running around swearing at everyone getting shit done yeah yeah if only we did if only we did all right uh so yeah the world sucks um <laughs> let's see. what other stuff do we have i mean i think our main stuff is probably the the japanese game we've been playing the shit out of yeah like all i've been doing is basically playing ghost of tsushima and stressing out about what my job's gonna look like in two weeks (laughs) yeah me too so one other thing though i i just wanted to say this because i actually would love some listener input on this okay i am i'm gonna call this segment jonathan's great laptop hunt of 2020 (laughs) okay yeah i know what this is because i am and i talked to you about this off the air my uh beloved macbook pro 13 inch from 2015 is it's not dead and i'm not even sure it's dying but it is ready to go to the retirement home let's just put it that yeah, way a retirement community retirement please. community yes um it is it, i don't know if it can if it does it clearly does not want to be a daily workhorse anymore you know a little bit of this sean from yeah. just the myriad audio fuck-ups you guys don't hear but i've had to deal with behind the scenes yeah and scares and stuff. Somehow, like we we play Russian roulette with this, and the bullet hasn't fully hit us in a while, but it threatens. Yeah, it's been a long time since we had like a major technical yeah. malfunction on the podcast. There was the one earlier this year where I had to reassemble like half an hour of audio where wow. I re-recorded my part. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> yes, that yeah. was, which that is was very surreal to listen back to, having been a part of the actual conversation. But part of it is that you know, I think one sign of your laptop, you know starting to give up the ghost is when the battery starts performing less well right yeah and sean let me tell you the ultimate sign of this for me recently where i was like i should probably start thinking about the next step was when we watched war in the pocket for Uh for our mobile suit or for our weekly suit gundam podcast um anchor dot anchor dot fm slash weekly suit gundam go listen um but but we watched war in the pocket and i watched it my movie cut of it which is like two hours ten minutes i was gonna watch all in one sitting so my laptop fully charged I take it away from the charger because I'm used to, with my laptop, for watching a movie or something, I don't need my charger, right? Yeah. And I, I put it on, I had it, I had it on the table next to my TV, plug in the HDMI, I'm watching the movie, and about half an hour from the end it says, you've got 5% battery remaining. And all it was doing was playing the movie over HDMI. Not powering the screen, Yeah. just HDMI. And, 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 then I, and that was the moment where I'm like damn it i really have to start thinking about this don't i
1: yeah when like the nintendo switch or the psv is looking at your laptop is like dude like really come on yeah.
0: you know your battery life is uh in yeah. a bad place like literally sean if i open my battery icon there's a thing that says service recommended <laughs> a big warning sign yeah so and again you know it's five years old that's yes. that's not that's a totally respectable life for a laptop um and it still works like generally fine i can get most things done it's just i've noticed it being sluggish in a lot of areas um you know, I've had some frustrations with Mac. You know, generally I love Mac OS, but they've also done some frustrating things in the last year, like cutting off all 32-bit app support, which really fucked with our entire workflow for a while, mm-hmm. um, and just things like that. So, but I have been thinking about, okay, I'm not buying a new laptop tomorrow, but I am, I do want to be ready in case, because there's a, there's a definite chance this thing just dies one day, and if it does, and I would like to not do that, so I'm trying to think ahead, right? Yeah. You know, put some money aside. Uh, and one thing I'm thinking about is, is finally maybe making the switch over to, to Windows, because last time I tried that was 2014. Windows laptops were not very good in 2014. Uh, they've gotten a lot better, I know, and I know just because like, people like you have used some of them, and I've seen yeah. them, and, and I know Windows 10 has gotten better, too. I've been impressed when I've seen it, because um, last time I used Windows 10 was when it was, like, new. Right, um, yeah. And, and they've definitely made it better. Um, so anyway, and, and, you know, I would like to be able to play some games. I don't want to become a PC gamer. But I would yeah, like because to be you to hate play. them more than anything, as was clear when we talked about percent for the golden. Oh, absolutely, the greatest bane of your existence. bunch of fucking snobs. But I, but I, uh, but I need your help now. No, um, but I am thinking about it, and I have looked at a ton of different things. It is, it is one of those things that very much triggers my overactive, like obsessive, compulsive, like anxiety behavior, where I just am looking at like laptops endlessly. Because with Apple, that's one really nice thing is it's very easy. Do you want this one, this one, or this one? With this much, this much, or this much storage, that's yeah. it. And that's constricting in a lot of ways that frustrate me, but it's also liberating in that I don't have to think for myself. Yeah, great. it takes the choice out of yes. your hands. Which is why you recommend Apple to like your grandma or something. Yeah, I, you don't have to think about it. You yeah. just plop down some money and you get yes. a thing. Yeah, but I have been thinking more about maybe finally making the switch to Windows. There's so many cool laptops out there that were not there five years ago. So I am in the middle of that search. If anyone has any recommendations or thoughts, like people who actually use Windows more than I do, um, I only you know get to interface with it at work or with friends or something. Um, you know, let me know. I am I'm I'm ki- I'm looking at some gaming laptops. I'm looking at some productivity machines that have gaming like uh, adjacency to yeah. them. Um, And you know Gaming laptops are much better Than they were five years ago You can actually get things That are like Ultrabooks With a good graphics card in it And that's probably The kind of thing I want I like thin and light I like good battery life I would like to be able to I don't need a rig That can do 120 FPS I just would like to be able To play games Once in a while When I want to Yeah Like right, like I'm actually borrowing My brother has a laptop That's very much like yours Sean Um, And I've been borrowing it Just to try some things out on it And see if I would be okay with it And uh, like um you know every once in a while xbox has exclusive pc games like right now they've got gears tactics the gears of war tactics game surprisingly really fucking good yeah i've heard good things about it, and i've played a little bit of that on his laptop and i'm like i'd love something that could play something like this you know because that's also a genre way better with keyboard and mouse oh yeah right yeah um and so you know that's the kind of thing i'm looking at i'm looking right now one of my top contenders is the asus rog zephyrus g14 which is new it's one of those new amd chips so it's got really good battery life it's got a good graphics card in it um but it is still kind of like a thin and light ultra book um you know i'd like something that could be quiet when i'm just in class or something mm-hmm. <laughs> and i know some laptops with more power are just always loud and that's yeah. annoying um i don't care if it gets loud when you're gaming that that's inevitable mm-hmm. i don't know what doesn't um um, in the in the PC space, at least. So those are the kind of things I'm thinking about. That's my hunt, Sean. It is very very overwhelming when you're looking at Windows machines because there are fucking billions of these goddamn things.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It is. It's the thing that you, when you talked to me about it last week um, off the air. It's the thing that like. It is overwhelming because you have, like, an infinite number of choice. But because you have an infinite number of choice, that means you can get basically exactly what you want. Yeah. Right? Like, so, like, for my laptop, it, like, one of the things that I knew I needed was a disk drive. It's yeah. just, like, I have to have something that I own that can play a CD. It's just a fucking requirement. Um, and, like, Not because
0: you listen to a bunch of CDs. It's work and education. Yes. Stuff,
1: yeah. Right? That it's, like, you just... You get... You know, the education is very far behind. Like, I'm, I'm very glad I don't like require a floppy drive because I would not be surprised if, like five years ago, you yeah. were just getting handed floppy disks. And was like, here's, here's your lesson uh, plan that you want to do for this like special thing the district wants us to do. It's like, and here's your floppy. It's like, great. Awesome. I remember having... So- loving to see my dad have like a little fucking like red
0: case that he put his floppy drive in when I was like I mean, six. you joke, but that's what we had in our middle school, Sean. That's yes. what we played games on was fucking old uh, Oregon Trail floppy disks. You yeah, that? Uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, I
1: needed like a CD drive. I wanted to make sure I had like an HDMI port, um, a certain number of USB drives, and then like expandable storage. It's just like I had like a certain number of requirements I had and like a MacBook wouldn't have fulfilled those requirements. And then also like I I prefer PC just generally speaking. And then so being able to sort of take all those requirements, kinda I like made a list for myself and then I just I like use a lot of like CNET because CNET reviews every piece yeah. of technology on the planet. It's just like it's just I'm I'm gonna spend the next month reading like one hundred laptop reviews and it is a stupid amount of time to invest. But at the end you're like, I fucking I nailed it. Like I feel like I'm like for that one month, I was like an expert, <laughs> a foremost expert on the planet of Windows laptops in the four hundred to seven hundred dollar range that had these things. You ask me about it, and I will—I can tell you everything about yes. them. In bad, because I got mine like in twenty fifteen, also.
0: Yeah. So so that's why, like I said, that Asus one I was looking at seems good. Um, you have an Acer. My brother has an Acer. I like those machines. They have one now called the Predator Helios 300 that's usually around 1000 bucks. that has really, really good performance. It's a little thicker and heavier than I would like. It's about your size. Mm-hmm. But it also seems like it would be really good. Um, and I, I have a nice iPad that I do a lot of my work on now, so I don't need it to be as portable as my current MacBook. Like, if I could have my way, I would love something in this exact form factor of my MacBook that could do all this performance stuff, but that does not exist. So, yeah. um, but that, that Asus one I was looking at is, is relatively close. So I'm thinking about it. I don't know if I will commit to that entirely because I've been on Mac so goddamn long. It is difficult to disentangle. Um, I'd have to find new editing software and stuff. But, you know, I hear, I hear Windows has lots of software options. So. Yes, yeah, yeah i like it and it has been nice playing around like i said with my brother's computer and like installing emulators and being like hey this works because actually one of the things that made me think about this sean was when you talked about playing crisis core uh-huh not that i would buy a pc just to play crisis core but it was one of those things of like thinking about what i can and can't do because the psp emulator basically does not work on modern macs it works within the software open emu which is this very cool software on mac that you should have if you have a mac that is um it's almost like the itunes for game emulators you open it up and it's got like cores for everything super nes nes all the game boys uh, all all everything up to ps1 basically they recently added psp in there and it is that core even though that software doesn't really work as a whole on mac anymore and i was and i looked and i can play crisis core in there but guess what that software can't do sean what it can't boost resolution so oh, it's just crisis so, core at like the original like 140p yes
1: yeah it's like you're yeah you're just playing a psp game blown up to the screen yeah. of your laptop or i mean i when i played crisis core i hooked my laptop through HDMI to my tv so i had like on a big 4k display like i don't even remember how i cranked up the internal resolution because this psp game is like it runs fucking fine whatever
0: i do to it yeah. um yeah so yeah so yeah it's uh it's 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 very overwhelming especially for someone who has not looked at windows in a while um but yeah, it's it's an interesting journey. So this is my great laptop hunt. And maybe there'll be something new later this year for me for recording this this year podcast. Yeah. And maybe not. Because I'll just say also it's like I love Mac OS, but Mac hardware has been so up and down the last few years. Like if I could buy this Mac again but with like twenty twenty internals, I would. But they don't make these anymore. They don't they, the Macs only have USB C. They have nothing right, else. Yeah. Um they yeah. now have that stupid touch bar at the top instead of buttons. They are way more. They have inflated in price way more than other things, you know. Um, so they're just very like the kind of performance I got in this equivalent in 2020 is like a two thousand dollar laptop. I don't want to spend that on you know something that doesn't even have a graphics card, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like so, it's a whole it's it's a whole frustration there. I still really love my iPhone and iPad, but the Mac, mm. yep. Yeah, I had my one brief flirtation with the Mac in, like,
1: 2012, and I'm like, this is, seems fine, but as soon as I ran into one thing I wanted to be able to do and I
0: couldn't do it, I'm like, I'm never buying these again. <laughs> like, why? No, why I did you game. ever
1: lock yourself out of being
0: able to do something you want to do? Exactly, and that's that's the feeling I keep getting, and, and for the podcast, I'd like to be able to talk about things when they come up that I yeah. c- I can only do on PC, or, like, if you were playing Crisis Core, it would have been great for me to just boot that up and play it easily, and it wasn't an option, you know? Yeah. So anywho that's what i've been up to but sean do you want to go ahead and move on to the news yes jonathan let's talk about the news all right so we had the xbox games showcase yes so so was there anything else that came out this week okay so there was a nintendo direct that was hilariously (laughs) brief it was eight minutes long and it was now. To be fair, Nintendo did say the night before, "Hey, look, this is a short direct. It is about our partners. It's all third party. It's just going to be a little thing." So they did not like overhype it or anything. But because they have done almost no Nintendo Direct events this year, um, we're all kind of starving for info. Like we don't, yeah, because you know,
1: they, we don't know anything about their like first party post
0: Paper Mario, which just came out, which is already out. Yeah, yeah, so we don't know what the next first party Nintendo game is. There are rumors up the Yazoo about uh, the Mario thirty fifth anniversary collection and Mario three D Land getting ported, like to the point where those are basically confirmed in the like fan community. Yeah, but we don't—they haven't announced it. We don't know when it's—it's it's like, and clearly, like Nintendo has been pretty transparent that they've been pretty hard, hard pretty hardly hit, hit pretty, hard.
1: Pretty—they've been hit hard by right. COVID nineteen. I think is what you want to say.
0: All right, we just took a three hour break for me to go to the hospital and get a check <laughs> on that stroke I just had. but we just they got pretty they got hit hard by covid yeah thank you for not making me say it um and and so we just haven't had a lot of info there wasn't anything too crazy in that announcement except atlas came and we are getting a full remaster of shin megami tensei 3 nocturne which was a ps2 game that'll be on switch we also learned after the show it'll be on ps4 um i've always wanted to play that game and never have so i'm really excited for that And they showed another trailer for Shin Megami Tensei 5, which we've known. That was within the first ever Switch show. If you
1: say another, this is like really the first trailer for it. Because the first time was, yeah, at the like January Switch. Here's like the the announcement basically of the Switch. And they showed a teaser that was like, we're going to make a
0: Shin Megami Tensei. There was a second one where they confirmed it was Shin Megami Tensei 5. And that was kind of like this. It was another cinematic kind of thing. So we still haven't seen gameplay or anything. But this time they committed to 2021 for the release date. Yeah. So that's coming. Um great i'm excited for both of those but there was nothing else really of interest in that in that announcement yeah yeah because
1: i'm i'm pretty excited for the nocturne thing because i i actually own a ps2 copy of nocturne that i bought back when i got ps or persona 4 and persona 3 because i probably emulated those i just bought the discs another reason why you want to disk drive on your pc is it's just nice to have the option
0: or an external i like yes. I, I have an
1: external and that's fun
0: i just yeah however
1: however you have it i just wouldn't want to take up one of my slots yeah i I want to have as many slots on my pc as possible if i could have 15 (laughs) usb slots like if i can give it to me bro um (laughs) yes um but yeah so i but i've never actually got around to playing it um and and yeah i because i've never actually played a core series shin megami tensei because i mean there's not that many of them like one and two are super old then there's three in ps2 four is a 3ds game um so yeah i've never got around to playing a chorus in megami tensei that seems like it will be a cool way to do that so yeah yeah
0: and looks like it's it's the kind of thing that i hope they do that with persona 3 at some point because it's basically the original art up res it's kind yeah. of what i would want if they ever went back and did persona 3 fest again um so anyway we'll see but yes um So that's what we got from Nintendo. I hope we hear more from them soon. They've, you know, to their their credit, as I said, they've been pretty transparent about like, hey, we just can't put a giant show together right now, which I get. (laughs) Yes, yeah, fair enough. Nobody has a perfect solution for this, uh, but let's talk about Xbox and see how they did. Yes, so this is, um, Jonathan, I think going to be our
1: last, not E3 2020. There's obviously going to be more stuff. I assume that Sony and Microsoft are going to have big events in August that are going to be where they're going to do price and release date
0: maybe i'm half expecting at this point the pre-order is going to be it'll be between this amount of money and this amount of money and it'll be a surprise on launch day when we take it out of your account um yeah i mean if i'm just because i'm assuming both of them are november um or
1: like maybe the last week of october yeah. is probably the earliest we'll get them and if they'd announced in like release pre-orders in august that basically is in line with how Nintendo did it with the Switch. Sure. So that's yeah. that's what I'm guessing. But that, to me, is that would have been stuff that wouldn't have been done at E3 anyways. That would have been a post-E3 event. So this is uh, the final not-E3 2020, Jonathan, where we talk about all the things that would have been at E3 2020. But there wasn't because uh, there wasn't an E3 2020. And yes, this is the follow-up from the um, event from the first week of May... This is week 12 of Not E3 2020, as it says in my notes here, Jonathan. Jesus Christ. Three months of this, like, protracted, long, fucking, grueling haul of weird, piecemeal game announcements.
0: Sean, um, do, should I edit together an episode of all the Not E3 <laughs> so we have our big E3 episode? Yeah. It's just... Yeah.
1: I mean, I'll tell you right now, Jonathan, that this document I have, I put all... Because I just had one running document I would open up That's whenever great. one of these came up. Um, it is now at 7,938 words. Um, and, uh, 18 pages. It's technically 19, but I came, it's actually like kind of perfect. Jonathan, the last note I have comes right to the end of one page. Yep. Um, so it is basically exactly 18 single paced, uh, single spaced pages in Microsoft word. It has been a lot of, it has been both. It feels like a lot of video game announcement stuff and also like nothing because we also had like E3 and, or EA and Ubisoft that kind of did nothing. Um, but this was sort of Microsoft had their event at the beginning of May um that was the sort of set off the tone i think of night e3 2020 which was a lot of promises and then you see the event is like i mean it was fine but it was not quite what you wanted that was
0: every single show
1: yes that was every single single show some of them like ea in a more severe way it was like this is just you showed us nothing someone like Sony, it's like you had some good stuff but not as much as we would have wanted um and i think microsoft this one i would say is like a little bit below sony but nowhere near uh in the depths of the ea it was mostly fine
0: it's more on the sony side and frankly one of my main reactions is if microsoft had saved all the stuff they did in may and done that with this and had like a nice balance and mix there were enough cool announcements in that may one and enough cool things to see here that i think they could have put on something relatively above the pack if it had all come out together but it didn't
1: yeah yeah if they because i think if you combine that and you combine the indie showcase thing they did in the pre-show here and then everything they did in this you would basically have beat for beat a normal microsoft
0: e3 press conference like this
1: was they and in both for like all the good things of a normal microsoft e3 press conference and the bad things i think like they have not fully gotten around on how to like show off their games but we'll talk about that with this um so yeah so they they actually had a pretty like um packed pre-show So we'll start with talking about that. Um, They were kind of organized through Jeff Keighley's Summer Games Fest 2020, whatever you call that thing. Um, So I don't know if all those announcements were actually tied to Microsoft or if they were Jeff Keighley things, because most of the stuff there was not actually like, this is like an Xbox exclusive or anything like that. They had a big indie showcase that seemed to be mostly stuff we already knew about. Um, I did make a note here that... Because I, I think the reason I made this note is because I thought that Yakuza Like a Dragon would show up here, but it didn't. Um, but Yakuza Like a Dragon did announce, or Sega announced about that game a few days ago, um, that they're going to have an English dub for Yakuza Like a Dragon, similar to what they did with Judgment. They'll have George Takei as part of the cast, and that there will there will be an enhanced PS5 version of the game, but that will be coming out after the game's launch in the West. So I thought that maybe that trailer would show up here as well, but it didn't. But
0: a little bit of action news around about Yaxa around this. And it seems like the release date of that game... Because Xbox accidentally had it up for a little bit. They said November 13th. That yeah. sounds like that's probably it. Yeah, and that sounds like that's maybe the console release yeah. date. Yeah. Or it'd be very close to it. Yeah, because it is going to be on Series X. Just not PS5.
1: Yeah, so yeah. It's not going to be an enhanced version on PS5. And I don't yeah. know if they've actually detailed... I'm curious to know what like enhancements are. Is the Series X version... The same as the enhanced version that'll come to PS5. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah.
0: But yeah. I am excited for that game. I wish it wasn't yes. coming out the same week as every other game on the goddamn planet. But there we go. Yeah. I am looking forward to it. And even if it has George Takei you would have to be a goddamn madman to play a Yakuza yeah. game in English. What it's the fuck like I
1: respect you? it. I know that like people who played Judgment in English really like the english dub i know it was really well done i mean they did you know they did separate subtitles for the english dub and the japanese uh track and so that's like the right way to do it perfect so you know if i i have no interest in playing one of those games with an english dub but if that gets the game in front of more people um yeah awesome i mean those games are like the best localized japanese games in the market so um so we had that then there was this is a really interesting announcement uh dragon quest 11's uh tales of elusive age is that what the subtitle is echoes of elusive, elusive age, age. echoes yeah echoes of elusive age definitive edition which is the version that came to the switch hence the s at the end of dragon quest 11's um that's going to be coming to xbox and then they also then later said it'll come to ps4 as well NPC. npc uh december 4th 2020 what's weird about this announcement is that is so that is a port of the switch version so the game originally came out on ps4 um, in Japan, then it came out over here, and the version over here had some slight modifications. I only say that because I played the Japanese version, so I, yeah. I the only version Dragon Quest Eleven I have firsthand experience with is the Super oldest version, yeah. yeah, the one that didn't have sprinting in it, um, but had the better looking menus. I will die on that hill. That That's I just Kept the fucking Dragon Quest menus because they're just Dragon Quest menus. Um, but so yeah, so then when they brought it over here, they made some additional enhancements to it. But then when they ported it to the Switch. Wait, but there was also a 3DS version. Dragon Quest Eleven is a confusing... So, so should I do it? Yes, yeah, I... you should do the, the, that part yeah. as well. Okay, yeah.
0: so Dragon Quest Eleven launched in Japan in 2016 on the 3DS and PS4 same day. The, they they were the same dialogue, cutscenes, all of that, bit battle system, all of that, different graphics on the 3DS, obviously. The 3DS also had an optional 2D mode. Yes. Um, the 11S version combined everything. So you had everything from the PS4 version, all the 3DS content so you could play in 2D again. Um... It also added all these, like, uh, time travel quests that I think might have been in the 3DS version, which are uh, all in 2D mode. Um, It added some new campaign scenario stuff that happens at the midway point between Act 1 and Act 2. Um, It added Japanese voice acting for the first time in any Dragon Quest game. Symphonic soundtrack. Basically like a Persona 4 Golden, Persona 5 Royal kind of overhaul of the game. Um, But for Nintendo Switch, kind of like how Persona 4 Golden was for the Vita. Um, But now it is coming to everything.
1: Yes, but... So when they ported it to the Switch, obviously they had to make some visual compromises to get it around yeah. that platform. Those visual compromises will remain in the port to the PS4 and the what? PC. So you're not getting, I mean it's going to look better than the Switch version because it will be a higher resolution and a higher frame rate, yeah. but it will not they're not yeah. putting back in the different visual things like um draw distance, texture detail, that kind of stuff that was re- reduced huh. for the Switch version. So because I'm, from what I understand, they had to do a lot of work to get yes. it to run on the Switch. So it's like a fairly different version of the game in the first place. So it's not like we just took the content, we put it in the Switch version and just threw it into the PS4 version. So you're getting, so if you buy Dragon Quest XI, because also you'll have to buy it, you're not, if you already own it, you're not getting like a free upgrade or anything like that. Same as Persona 5. For yeah. Me. So if you buy Dragon Quest 11s you're not, you're going to get all the extra content, but you're not going to get the best looking version of the game
0: and it's fucking weird it's weird i would say it's worth it because i mean the switch version still looks gorgeous it's remarkable how close to the original it actually looks and i wouldn't be surprised if giving it a a resolution boost and like it running on very powerful hardware like an xbox one x that can handle a lot of that stuff very easily makes it relatively close but we'll see it yeah, is. I mean there
1: there are like screenshots are out of the PS4 yeah. and the PC version and, and it's like it looks fine, but one of the things I liked about the PS4 version is how crisp the detail was yes. and that crispness is not there in this yeah.
0: port. Well, that's interesting. It, it will also be on Game Pass for both yeah. uh console and PC. So, god, if you've got a PC, 5 bucks a month for one of the best and longest games ever made play it I am glad yeah. that version is coming everywhere else though even if it's not the best looking like all of the enhancements they made make it the version to play like definitely especially like the Japanese voice cast is fucking great and if you want to hear that and if you speak a little bit of Japanese and you can actually understand what they're saying you can get more of that original script kind mm-hmm. of you know um, it's, it's a very cool version yeah. So,
1: although if you play it in japanese or if you play it with like english uh like text. subtitles yeah text but japanese language you're gonna to have to deal with the fact that all the pro- proper nouns are basically different yes it is It'll i made a little it, bit weird
0: i made myself a spreadsheet when yeah. i started playing it's S. very weird yeah.
1: um but yeah so that's happening like again yeah probably the dragon quest 11 is the version you still want to play it's just weird i can't think of an example of that happening. Where like the game has gotten like ported all over the place and then like the final version we get is like cool but it's not the like optimal version you imagine which is the PS4 version or the PC version with all that extra
0: stuff. It would be like if they finally did Persona 3 on PC like they did Persona 4 Golden but it was the portable version. Yeah
1: that is like an up-res version of the portable version because they wanted the female main character and it's like what you want from a re-release of Persona 3 is everything that's Persona 3 fest but the extra portable content in that version of the game. Yeah it's just weird.
0: Also, weird that Dragon Quest will be on an Xbox console. Yes. But yeah. there you go. It's it's
1: it's happening. Um, then uh, the other major thing from the pre show, which honestly I think is like one of the best game announcements um, of this whole thing, so much so that it probably shouldn't have been in the pre show. I baffled. Um, yeah. So Square Enix announced Ball in Wonderworld, not Ball in Wonderland, which is what they kept on saying in the pre show, because uh, they had like in the little interstitial bit and they had different people talking about it, and they kept on saying Wonderland. I mean, Wonderworld. Um, But it's uh, a game by Yuji Naka and Naoto Oshima uh, Yuji Naka best known for Basically is one of the co-creators of Sonic the Hedgehog Um, But he and Naoto Oshima uh, Worked together on the Knights games The Sega Saturn and Sega Dreamcast uh, Franchise Uh, So this has a very Knights Into Dreams like feel to it It's the same kind of aesthetic It doesn't look like it's the same gameplay It's more of like a rhythm thing um, which I never kind of understood what the gameplay of Knights was. He, like, threw, flew through rings. I don't know. I didn't really play those games. I've only ever seen them. Um, but so they had a cool-looking trailer, like, great style. It was just cool to see fucking Naka and have him be like, Hi, I'm Naka It was like, oh, my God. This is a dude who's, like, responsible for a lot of my childhood. This is just, like, here talking about a new game he's making. Um, it is going to come to... xbox one xbox series x ps4 ps5 steam and switch in spring 2021 so yes it is coming to effectively everything
0: spring 2021 looks cool looks great it i maybe it's because it's not a game pass game that's why it's not in the main show because that was kind of a pitch of the main show but either way it was one of the best announcements on that day and if you haven't seen the trailer it is a delight i look forward to this one very much
1: yes so that's the pre-show it was cool like i was Because I didn't even plan on watching it, but I was just in front of my TV and I was like, oh, I'll just might as well put this stream up while I look at stuff on the internet. And I was like, oh my god, they're actually like showing off games and Dragon Quest XI is here and Wonder Wonderworld, that looks fucking cool. Um, So then we get into actual Xbox stuff and it starts with a sort of cinematic trailer for Halo that is just a very moody is dr halsey from the halo franchise talking about like the me on their armor and
0: they're making it, the armor it reminded me of like the halo 3 ads back in the day yes. like a very polished nice little two minute cinematic teaser yeah I, I, I would want more like dioramas
1: with little halo dudes yes. and at the end the master chief doll like head turns toward the camera um because halo 3 if you have not seen the ads for halo 3 has like the best fucking video yes. game commercials ever but yes they had a similar kind of vibe to it um, and then that then transitioned into a like start screen for a demo basically um, for Halo Infinite and they pressed the, the lines or the menu button and they went in. Um, if we start off with our sort of Halo Infinite which is like an eight minute gameplay uh, segment they showed and it opens with a little title card that says 28th May 2560 167 days after we lost and I had no idea... That apparently all of the Halo games have taken place over the course of eight years. <laughs> because Halo 1 is 2552. I only remember that because the date is a very cool date, 2552. Um, but yeah, it's been eight years since Halo 1. And 167 days after after we lost something. I
0: guess that tracks because Halo 2 happens very shortly after Halo 1. And Halo 3 happens immediately yeah. after Halo 2. And then there is like a five year gap while the Chief yeah, is in space. I think in
1: my mind... Halo 3 and Halo 5 Or Halo 4 Have a much bigger Jump yeah. between them Than actually In the timeline Because I saw that I'm like it, it, That can't possibly Be true that, Yeah because that means That Master Chief Was drifting in space For like 5 or 6 years It's like Surely he would have Been drifting in space For longer than that But it's like No he got very lucky Yeah just like, He just like Got right there Really fast um, But yeah So I One of the things About this trailer Is that it doesn't Really give you Any context For the narrative Of what's happening Um, And there's there is no hide nor tail of any of the stuff from Halo 5 there's no mention of Cortana no tease that I thought for sure there'd be some sort of tease because for people who don't remember which I only vaguely do at this point halo 5 ends with a big cliffhanger of cortana has gone rampant she's like evil and going to take over the universe basically yeah.
0: because this this trailer is building on the cinematic tease from two e3s ago yeah where the chief is out in space something has happened and he like literally he is his body in the suit is floating in space he hits a ship run by the dude we see in the trailer here his new buddy who seems like a cool character i kind of yeah. like him in these two trailers and then this picks up after that where they run into a halo um and that's what that teaser was so yeah it it is not pitching itself on any ties to the four five continuity. Yes. It's they like, could be in there, but I'm yeah,
1: I'm sure I'm sure it will be there. Um but I just was kinda surprised at how much it was just like this is like very Contextless in terms of as like a Halo fan.
0: You know what I hope it is? What? Here's how I hope it is. The opening cutscene is the chief like running through a facility and, and like, you know, because it's all blowing up and yeah. Cortana's in his ear like, oh, thank God you got me back, chief. That really sucked. I'm so glad my mind's back. And he's like, it's good to have you back, Cortana, but we got to get out of here. And then he jumps out of the base as it blows up and then he's floating through space and it's just you skip the resolution to Halo 5 yeah it's just like what happened to Agent Locke oh he's on vacation you know yeah him and all the other like Buck
1: and all the other yeah, just on vacation same with all the character, the Spartans that they brought back from the books for Halo 5 yeah, yeah they're just like yeah they're just over in New Mombasa
0: chilling out that could out. be that could be a collectible on the the Halo <laughs> ring if you go around and you get like pictures of them on vacation Yeah, yes that oh my god that'd be so good they're all like just in their armor just on yeah. a beach yeah um, get like the rooster teeth artist to do like like the kind of like like goofy stuff you would get with like red versus blue characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: That's probably not what we're going to get, uh, but it's it's nice to dream. Yes. um So yeah, so yeah, so as you said, it's the continuation basically of what we saw from that last trailer. um as They land, the crash land on their the halo. They have a very terse conversation. Um, where eventually the Master Chief says a line here that I wrote down, where he says, "There won't be a home if we don't stop the Banished," um, which apparently the Banished are from Halo Wars Two. Yes, I
0: learned that a little yeah. as well.
1: Yeah, because I because I heard that I'm like that seems weirdly vaguely familiar because I did watch like a a like story breakdown of Halo Wars Two when it came out because I was just curious. I'm like, okay, I don't know if that I didn't play Halo Wars Two. I don't know if anybody played Halo Wars Two um but maybe like the banished are like some sort of rogue faction of ex covenant people um th- so this is also where i just noted this did you have any problems with like the stream at like in early like this part of it because i had to switch like three times
0: no i was i was on the, the xbox's channel their mainstream yeah i started on
1: there and okay. then it started hitching up and i couldn't tell if it was because i kept on switching to like okay let me do the, put up the Gamespot one and the giant bomb and i yeah around. the quality
0: wasn't great but it was yeah. stable yeah,
1: for me, like, it only happened here, but it just hitched up for me here. Um, but then luckily when I switched to, to a different stream, it was like three minutes earlier than where I had just been. So it's was like, okay, it'll, it'll be fine. So I didn't miss anything. Um, yeah, and so then you just basically get a solid seven minutes um, at this point of gameplay. Uh, the Master Chief with his assault rifle, and he's on a halo, and he's shooting dudes. He gets a Warthog, um, and there's like just like a lot of new weapons. The grappling hook thing, um, like basically like a not bubble shield, bubble shield thingy, and then you have like that big cinematic at the end, um, and and so it is a it is a solid chunk of gameplay. It's also like the only gameplay we got at the whole event, um, which is my major issue with this is that there are a lot of not even just like not game demos, but not even gameplay trailers, um, but they do start off with this is a solid chunk of gameplay. The first thing we saw from Halo Infinite
0: is this the only thing we've gotten in Naughty 3 that was just we've gotten other ones that were cut together gameplay yeah. like Ratchet and Clank or Assassin's Creed Valhalla but this was uninterrupted here's 8 minutes of someone playing the game
1: um, like Ratchet and Clank wasn't that long but we did get probably
0: like a solid that
1: 4 minute yeah. like them running around shooting shit
0: bit. they jumped yeah. ahead though like this was like unbroken just here's playing yes. the game Ratchet and Clank was very close I don't want to yeah. put that was but, and honestly that's why those 2 are maybe 2 of the things that stick out in my mind most from all of Naughty 3 because it's what I wanted gameplay yeah i i think it looks good i'm excited for this
1: i i'm like kind of mixed on it like some of it looks i think it's a bad trade like demo for the game because i don't think it pitches the game in any specific way because the the main thing it does because so obviously everyone's been speculating forever and they've kind of like given hints about this this is some sort of open world halo whatever that means that doesn't necessarily mean it's like Ubisoft style open world but like a bigger More open Halo the name Halo Infinite Sort of implies that Um, There's one moment in the Demo where the dude Playing the demo like opens up a map and sets a Waypoint and but that and that's Like oh okay it is some Sort of open world Halo Vaguely speaking But that's the only hint of that you get In the whole demo and I think that's a mistake Because I don't think outside Of that it just looks like fine like it looks like like this is a fine looking halo he's doing some halo stuff but I don't feel like it pitches a top level this is what makes this halo infinite not halo 6
0: I agree and 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 I do wish I wish we would have gotten like this like seven or eight minutes of footage because I thought it showed off just the general minute-to-minute gameplay fine but i would have liked at the end the cut together for two or three minutes like that assassin's creed valhalla trailer of like you can do this and you can do this yeah. and like and have like a person from Three talking and saying yes. this
1: is what we are doing with this game
0: yeah because we still don't know like okay i i think we can safely put aside the concerns that this is a destiny clone that's not what this is yeah there's sense.
1: no numbers popping off of
0: dudes no. yeah it's not Destiny. okay because that was we were both assuming that for a while yeah okay it's not halo destiny um, my assumption, based on what 343 has said, although they've been weirdly cagey, yes. is that it is... I almost I think this is probably the big bulk chunk middle of the game. I think it's probably like a Naughty Dog campaign in recent years where like this is like the Seattle or Africa segment, but it's much bigger yes. like than those are. And longer and a bigger chunk of the game. Which I think is fine. If you have to do a couple of levels at the beginning to establish things and then he gets on the Halo and it's just like a big halo world to explore cuz cuz that is what I, I think that's a great idea to do a a nice like I don't want a ubisoft open world halo game. No. I don't want any more ubisoft open world games ever. But um, I could use a little less of it in my Ghost of Tsushima. We'll talk about that later. But like if it were, you know, basically like level 2 of the original Halo, only much more to explore, many more things to do, really pull on something that has always been core to halo which is a little bit of light exploration and nice big worlds with lots of different kind of paths and sandbox yeah like multiple objectives to approach in different ways yeah i think that sounds great and and you know i thought it looked like it was like it played really well it looked like it had a lot of the things i liked from halo 5 without some of the stuff i didn't like in halo 5 um you know i liked the look of the game there's been we can get into the controversy if you want but i sure like the art style um, it's a lot better than Halo Four or Five to me. Um, it's it looks properly like Halo, um, but yeah, it you know, God, everyone has been pitching their games so badly this year yeah. that I just don't know. I, maybe it is just so ridiculously hard to put together good comprehensive video game trailers this year that it's not possible. But man, we have Halo Infinite was announced in what 2017
1: mm, earlier? Yeah,
0: maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, because that's two years after Halo Five. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, and like. And we kind of know, we kind of know what it is, but we don't. And it's no, like yeah. I, it's coming out in three months, like mm-hmm. we're a yeah, hundred days away. Just show it, please. Yeah.
1: I'm like, I'm honestly like a little bit nervous about it in a like vaguely Mass Effect Andromeda type way. Yeah, just because we know that it has had significant developmental issues. Like we know the game was internally rebooted at least once, right? We know that it. Used, I did not know that. Yeah, it used to be they were making a Halo Six. And then a lot of major people at 343 left and they hired new people and then it's now Halo Infinite. So I feel like that combined with um, what I think is like a rough, like limited like demo that we got that just feels like really cagey, right? Like nothing about this feels like a confident demonstration of Halo Infinite. It's like a... We, we got a thing put together But it doesn't feel like We're like throwing down the gauntlet This is our next Halo game yeah. Look at like how confident we are And showing it off It doesn't give that impression um, And how like limited The interviews around this have been And like additional inter- information Around it have been And then all that combined with the fact That it's going to have to get pushed Like or like forced to be a Series X launch game Right like all those factors around it Make me a little bit concerned about the game
0: yeah. No, I get it, and I want nothing more than Halo to be good. Yes. I love Halo. I am excited to try this. Halo 5 is the most disappointed I've maybe been in any media product ever, because it was just such... The the core multiplayer is good. The campaign was terrible amateurish bullshit. And it's just... Oh, I would love for them to have... And this feels like 3-4... This feels more like what I would have wanted out of 3 4 three yeah. the whole time, if it's kind of what we think it is, which is sort of nice get the basics and then expand halo instead of trying to kind of like rethink it as a call of duty clone which is what halo 4 multiplayer was or i don't even know what the guy i mean no one knows what halo 5 was because it was not finished and it just kind of went out the door yeah and it was technically polished and not polished in any other way and yeah it's it's been a weird time for halo they've had a lot of time to work on this one there was that internal reboot as you say they are one thing that everyone is on message about though in those 343 interviews is calling this the soft reboot. which is like but that's fine i get that and and halo 5 was so bad i don't even mind if they just fucking ignore the story because halo 5 was such colossal horse shit but like i do wonder how they're going to deal with it i do wonder yeah i
1: just am not convinced that like they can get me back on board right like it's because it's one thing to be like oh we can just ignore the bad shit they did in halo 5 and like how they kind of just sunk the story but then like how do you get and a Halo fan like reinvested yeah. Past that point I think is like a hard thing to do And and like the thing with the brute At the end of this just felt like You're not pitching anything about the story Like you're just having this character That we don't know Say stuff with like weird sci-fi Halo Proper nouns in it And growl at the camera for like a minute And, and that like I think generally the game looks fine I think the people like... It, the whole controversy Around the graphics Is mostly dumb I do think that That brute model Looks bad and yeah. I think when you're Zoomed in on it tight for like a minute And just staring at it It looks especially bad And it's like That stuff around the game Is just like If you're not Pitching the game to a way that's going to get like a lapsed Halo fan back and it just doesn't feel like I just don't know how they're pitching the game like it just
0: feels kind of directionless what they showed and and there's time maybe yeah. there'll be more you know they're, they're they said they're going to show off multiplayer separately I have no problem with that especially because that probably will coincide with a beta but like you know i i just i want it to be good i i and and you know the one thing that gives me faith is i think xbox knows it has to be good phil spencer when you hear him talk about this like he's even said if they had to delay it they would now maybe that's disingenuous yeah because it's like like, i don't know how you but i don't know i mean if they delayed it they'd have nothing like why 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 even watch the series x at that point exactly um although it is it's also like it's that game i imagine is also going to run perfectly well on the xbox one x i mean it's an xbox like one game yeah, right yeah. And so yeah and so that's where like with this i think like
1: generally speaking with this event that microsoft had a big problem is like nothing about it feels convincing as like a buy the Series X, right? There's Well, no... here's the
0: thing. I thought it was a phenomenal pitch for Game Pass.
1: Yes, it's great for Game Pass, not
0: but... for the specific hardware they're yeah, launching. Yeah, like why but why would you buy
1: a $500 whatever it is going to be console when Halo Infinite like that's part of I think where the controversy around the graphics comes from. Because I think both of like like you
0: think it looks fine right like it's like there's nothing wrong with it well i love the art style it looks like it looks like kind of the halo one art style with the colors of halo 3 that is my sweet spot and i think you know i i I do not ever try to judge graphics based on a shitty stream i'm watching i don't like and and i did look at the nicer version of it but like it looked and it totally looked fine to me like like and it will probably look better on launch day so It,
1: it looks fine The problem is that it's like... It looks fine for an Xbox One game. Sure, sure. It does not... Like, when you put it up next to... What we've seen of, like, next-gen games... So, like, the Ratchet & Clank footage... Or the Horizon 2 footage... Or, like, the brief glimpse we got of Spider-Man... Like, it's just not on that level, right? It looks like an Xbox One game. Because it's
0: been in development for Xbox One. It's an Xbox One game. The intention is... You know, when they started this... The intention was never... This was going to be the next console launch game... This was always going to be an Xbox One game. And I, and I want people to understand that. It will run better on Series X. If you have nice PC hardware, I'm sure it'll run great. But, like, this is not the... Um, this, is, this is not the Ratchet & Clank big, like, we're doing stuff to test the limits of this hardware.
1: Yeah. And I think the problem is Microsoft didn't have anything
0: that did yeah. this in this whole
1: showing. And so all of that weight was on Halo Infinite. And so... I think that's where like the like response to the graphics of the game came from was less that like the game actually looks bad because I because it's not like stunning a stunning looking Xbox One game no because it's you know it's a it's designed to run at 60 frames per second they kept on saying 4k 60 I think we can maybe start questioning whether or not games need to be running at 4k resolutions and for this game I don't know why you honestly need to car target 60 on the Xbox One if it's going to be on next gen it's going to be on PC. For people who want to run the game at a high frame rate, there are other avenues.
0: Well, it's because it, because probably because it's the same with Halo yeah. Five was built from the ground up for sixty. All the Halos run at sixty now. It's kind of like that's just and I like that about it. I do like that that's their target, but it does. But I, I agree. I think if they have but there always are compromises that have to happen. And I think if they were always planning to launch it for Series X, it would be different. Yeah. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. So it's like the game just is in this like weird position where it's like it's just not that much of a looker. It's got a nice art style. But, like, the lighting is really flat. Like, there's a really good video that Digital Digital Foundry did... ...that really broke down, like, technically what that means and what's happening. Like, I think the weapon models look particularly bad, which is not what you want in a first-person shooter. Yeah. Um, Like, I think, like... And I think that's the one place where also I don't like the art design. I think all the new weapons don't look good to me. Like, that weird semi-automatic rifle thing that he picked up. And, like, this... Like, they just... And this is a problem that I think all the 343 games have is I think the new weapons they introduce just don't look like halo weapons to me they look like that's like a call of duty gun like it just doesn't
0: i thought they were closer to the mark here but but i agree yeah
1: but generally speaking like i think so i think there's some visual elements there that didn't like fully work and so when this is the one game that has all that weight on it those like little things that don't work great get ballooned out to this game looks like garbage combined with them officially releasing one of the worst looking official screenshots for a game i've ever seen where that like one screenshot with like all the brutes in the grunts, and, like half in shadow, half in not. Bad screenshot. I don't know why they released that. Like it's a very unflattering screenshot for a game. But any, like any game can have a bad looking screenshot. That doesn't mean it's a bad looking game. Exactly. You look at the footage; it looks fine. Um, but I think it's just. I guess my general point is the way that Microsoft has built up Halo Infinite as this is our Xbox Series X game, even when everybody knows, obviously it's not, obviously it's an Xbox One game that's getting upported in some way to Series X, when you pitch the game that way and you don't have anything else to take off that pressure, a game that looks like it's totally fine and, and I hope is good and has, looks like it has a good chance to be a really cool game, it's, it gets skewered in, like, on Twitter and stuff because of those expectations. <laughs> it's...
0: You know, I, and, and I'm always rooting for Xbox. I, you know, I started my serious console gaming on an yeah, Xbox 360. Me too. I prefer playing on my Xbox One over my PS4, even though I will be the first to admit PS4 has much, 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 much more interesting exclusives, right? But, like, this this show did not really do anything to change my overall trajectory opinion of Xbox, which is I think they are doing great innovations in the space for all sorts of user services things. I think Game Pass is awesome and only getting better, which is great because these kind of things can often peter out. Um, and I think they are clearly making good, solid inroads with the studios they have bought to future dividends, but all those future dividends are not here yet. Yeah. And we knew, look, we knew that. When they announced all the studios they bought, they weren't going to be able to make giant games in two, three years, and that's okay. But, but but it's part of but the problem it doesn't of launching make, a new system right yeah, now yeah it doesn't make yeah. their
1: pitch for the series x better That's knowing my that point. like of course it's going to be this way it's like i cuz i came in with like these expect like expectations that i knew were unreasonable but it's like microsoft has had like the main thing microsoft has had to do for like 5 years now um every single e3 conference they've had like i swear i have this note on every single podcast we've done Um, around E3 is Microsoft feels like they're teed up that they need to nail it with the games and they keep on talking like a big game about their studios and what they're doing heading into one of these shows and then you come out of it and it's like but you really didn't show much of anything Um, most of what you showed was third party stuff and it's like it is just like frustrating right because this whole generation their whole Xbox One generation has basically been more or less a flop in terms of first party they've had a small handful they've got like the Ori games Cu- Years of War then, in Forza,
0: a lot of smaller stuff, you know, like sure. like Cuphead, the Ori games, um, and a lot of little experiments that have launched on Xbox and then kind of gone elsewhere. That's been really special, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I but agree, you compare with it to big... the output of Nintendo and Sony over oh, this past it's generation, not, yeah, it's yeah. like
1: nothing, right? It's just yeah, such it's... a small thing that they've done compared to the like dozens of great games you could get on the Wii U slash Switch or PS4.
0: Absolutely, and and it is. It still feels like that they could hammer the nail effectively one day, and maybe that's coming closer because I have no doubt some of these projects are going to be interesting, but um, they're not here yet. You know, like they had the—we'll get into it—but they had a new Obsidian game and they had the new Playground Games Fable. But but those are just basically saying we're making games. Yeah, there's nothing to be excited for other than hey, in two or three years there might be a really good game to play. But that's that doesn't help the Xbox Series X now
1: yes exactly
0: so, so let's move yeah on.
1: let's move on because the next game is a perfect example of what you just said um they showed a brief cg trailer of a lady who yells at a wolf and then a deer shows up and it's a dead deer and it yells at her and then they show us a label or a logo for state of decay 3 um with an xbox series x logo and no date on it um and there it is a declaration they are going to make another state of decay
0: yes cool and I have never played those games. People seem to like them, but yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, So just, but it's like you know nothing of the game there. It's just a CG right. trailer. Um, then Phil Spencer comes on camera. Uh, he's on a very cool looking like green screen set. It looks like he's in some sort of like he's like hiding out inside an Xbox Series X or something. It's like a weird.
0: I I like, do factory. I do want to praise the Xbox show. I think they had the best interstitial like people on screen talking. It looked the most like uncompromised yes yeah it was yeah. the best green screen yeah definitely
1: um and then this is where he says well i think it's like the, or the first he says that they're unveiling five new first party games from nine of their 15 studios so obviously like the other four studios just announced or like reconfirmed stuff that they're already working on um and then the main thing that is the most impressive thing about this where he said all these games will be on game pass
0: yeah so it's like and that's that's like the whole show yeah everything that was in this show you could get on game pass um everything i'm curious for some of
1: these like stalker 2 whether that will actually be the case because we'll talk about that we get to start stalker 2 but i'm not convinced that game will come out but generally speaking <laughs> i think that is a claim that you can take yeah. home you can take to the bank with you
0: and again i think honestly game pass is xbox at this point yeah and it is the best thing about it and it's it's why you want whether it's a pc or an xbox one or a series x that's the reason to buy into xbox and and that's that made this show pretty effective but again if you were coming here for why should i buy a series x specifically less so i
1: think it's effective if you're like actively in the xbox ecosystem and you have a game pass for me when like my question is like my dad like we have an xbox one upstairs on my dad's tv that he uses for like streaming and stuff and occasionally play games um so like if i if halo infinite gets good reviews and i want to play it I, i can play it on that one but I'm not going to buy a new Xbox one just for like some old game pass stuff. So my position is I have two consoles to look at PS five and Xbox series X. Sure. I'm on a teacher salary. I'm not going to buy both of them, at least not right away. So it's like, for me, the pitch of like all these games are on game pass is more theoretically interesting than it is like actively interesting because you need to show me these are games I really want to play to get me on that platform. And then game pass is like a really nice bonus that gets me all that stuff for a cheap price um this is where he also said something that i think is like i'm curious about with some of these games where he says all these games will play best on series x i think a constant thing throughout this um event was me curious about and i feel like different sources have been contradictory on some of these games whether or not they're going to be on xbox one or only on series x so some of the games like avowed the obsidian game So a lot of these games only have a Series X logo At the end of their trailers And then information that comes out after the fact Makes it sound like it's maybe actually going to be cross-gen Which, you know Microsoft has had multiple people Including Phil Spencer over the course of the past year Give multiple interviews Where they've constantly said Part of their strategy is a soft transition That for the first year to two years of the Xbox Series X All their games are going to be on the Series X and Xbox One It's going to be a cross-generation thing And so, and again, some of these games Feel like I,
0: I'm curious if they're actually going to come on the Xbox One or not. Um, so, so here's another question yeah. about this, and I know we keep getting off track, but but this is good context. Yes, I one thing is I do think parts of their strategy may have shifted, and part of this is the way they have completely discontinued all Xboxes. We didn't say this, well, this except this for the Xbox we, One S. That's what yeah. I was going to say. Everything except the Xbox One S, um, but the digital edition and the Xbox One X discontinued. Yeah, and we know. We know they're making an Xbox Series S. Yes. They, they seem to be reluctant to say it, but it's fucking happening. And if the strategy is the Xbox One is quietly gone before the new gen comes out and then it's get the One S or the Series X, then this whole thing starts to make a little more sense. Of oh, This will all play on this stuff, but the Series X is where you get the powerhouse, right? Sure. But but just supporting old consoles you can't go buy anymore is it different You know what I mean Like yeah. like, and, and I wonder if that was Always their plan To discontinue Most Xbox Ones Because I'll say They haven't said They've discon. They said they haven't Discontinued the Xbox One S But it's very hard to find New Xboxes right now yeah. They're mostly out of stock Um, so it's, so it's weird That's all
1: Yeah it's weird Like I just feel like I came into the show Like expecting that All the games they're going to say Would be cross-gen games Because Or all the games They were yeah. going to announce Just because that's what Their messaging has been Coming into this and now, like, I'm confused about it, and they haven't had anything that has clarified that. And, like, most of the stuff sure. that has come out has been more confusing. Yeah. Um, but then we have um, a world premiere. Uh, Forza Motorsport. Uh, they didn't put a number on it. Uh, I don't know if that would be seven or eight. Some that would be eight. Eight. So, Forza Motorsport, eight question mark. Um, it's a. They showed a very brief trailer um, captured that said tra- trailer captured in engine um phil spencer said that turn 10 is early in development on it which i think is interesting um and so and then it's a brief trailer no date um and it just feels like i was like if you had told me the day before this thing if you had asked me whether or not the xbox series x is going to launch with the new forza i would say 100 absolutely is going to launch with the new forza you don't put a console out if you don't have a car game on your console i'd I don't think Forza is coming out on launch. Like, I don't it's know if not. it's like in this year or next year even. like Them saying early so, in development is like, when is this game coming out? So this
0: is confusing. And I think yeah. we've all been confused for a little while. Because the last Forza game was Forza Horizon 4 in 2018.
1: Yeah. So they already took a year off of what had been a yearly franchise yes. for like six years at that They
0: point. would alternate between Motorsport and Horizon. The last main Motorsport, the last Turn 10 game, was, for, was 7 in 2017. So it's been three years it usually does not take that long to make a new car racer yeah. like this that's an iterative kind of series um so i agree i would have expected that was an easy day launch guess and that's why it didn't come out in 2019 that was my entire assumption yeah was that they just took some extra time to polish it for series x because that would also be a pretty easy game to run up and down the family of hardware right uh i'm very confused now i'm confused yeah. why it's not called forza motorsport 8 i'm confused why the trailer was so brief I'm, I'm confused by the whole strategy around this. I wonder if, like, what happened that, like, they're not... Because yeah. with Playground, I understand. They're making Fable. Yes. So that's why there's not another Forza Horizon on the horizon. haha. Uh-huh. ha Sorry. Um, that was one of those puns where I was in too deep by the time I realized, yeah. I, realized I was making it. I've, I would have said if I were in your position... That, that gets but, clear but turn 10 isn't making the next gears of war or something yeah. so like what's what's going on
1: yeah it's weird because and it was like the footage they showed was the best looking stuff because it like that whatever it is looks like it's next gen only but it also was like this is some like in engine hypothetical like this is a theoretical video game that you're being shown not something that's yeah. more concrete like weird like you know i think whenever turn 10 puts that game out i'm sure it's going to be good like all those forza games seem really good but yeah. I That was, like, maybe the thing I was most surprised by in this whole thing was, like, this, game, this console's not going to launch with your your car game. Crazy. Um, next we got, um, I think, one of the best trailers at the show, which is Forever Wild, the rare game that I think we saw a trailer for last year. Um, like, very, very stylish, very, like, Princess Mononoke-esque, like, like supernatural nature um, and, like, naturalistic landscapes with, like, weird
0: animals and spirits and stuff looks uh, great yeah great i'm trailer, glad great music i'm glad between this and sea of thieves rare kind of has their mojo back and yeah. are making making real games and uh games that people like i have never touched sea of thieves but people at this point seem to really like it uh and i probably should try it at some point because it seems like something i would enjoy and this looks like something special so. yeah
1: the one thing i want is i want to like know what the game is like yes, like I would... from a gameplay perspective is it a sea of thieves style we're just like hanging out like, just having, like, wacky video game streaming fun kind of stuff, um, which is, like, that's my guess, is it's probably a Sea of Thieves-style thing, based on the very, like, limited look we've gotten at it.
0: Like, they're focusing on four players, which indicates four-player co-op, yeah. And yeah.
1: So, yeah, it's just, like, you know, I just tend to not, like, I think you, I feel like a game has, one, your, like, this is our mood-atmospheric trailer when we announce the game, and I think past that, if you're showing another trailer for the game, at least at a big setting, I really feel like you should like pitch the game part of it but i agree we'll find out about it um no date or anything on that either i think that one's also xbox one i didn't note platforms here so i'm gonna assume um then we had um don't not entertainment uh this was a game we saw i think last year at um the xbox conference tell me why it's like a life is strange style game um chapter one will be available august 27th and then the subsequent chapters are like a pretty good clip of like Two to three weeks after that until the game is out Which is like I don't necessarily Have a huge interest in it Like I played Life is Strange 1 because it was free On PS Plus and I like that um, but like This genre doesn't really grab me that much But the one thing that has always been To me like a big black mark on this genre Is the like three to four Month release window between Like chapter episode one and then Half a year later you play episode two like That just seems like a bad model So then sticking with the chapter thing by having This tight release cadence that seems cool. So I, I suspect if you're someone who really likes Life is Strange, I know that like Life is Strange two did not sell well, but the people who played it fucking love it. Um, so if you like Donut Games, this looks cool. Um, moving on, Moon Studios. I just have that Lodia logo on here in Xbox Series X version of Xbox. What what did I write here? Can I? I, I yes. know what it is.
0: It was the Ori and the Will of the Wisps Xbox oh, yes. Series X port. So. Ori and the Will of the Wisps, which came out this year for Xbox One and PC, is getting a Series X update, with, which will run it at 4K, 120 FPS. Right, oh, yeah, um, this is where they, like,
1: they, like, slowed it down to, like, a crawl, and it's, like, to, you know, I'm sure that playing games on 120 FPS looks really good, but there's something disingenuous about the, like, and now, when you make it look really slow, 60 frames per second looks like shit. Like, that's, okay.
0: Yes. I you know you have to pitch your um 120 frames per second game but yeah yeah and ori and the will of the wisps was uh not well optimized it is the best it is in fact the best game of 2020 and it is a masterpiece and it's the best xbox exclusive so i'm glad they're giving it the love it deserves i hope it actually runs like that on the series x because at present on the xbox one x it runs at 4k and struggles to hit 60 which it should not struggle to do um i know there's been an update that i have not played that might have fixed that but um Anyway, it's still a great game and everyone should play it.
1: Yeah, when I had wrote, wrote down my notes, I had just like because I was writing these while I was watching it, I just wrote down an Xbox Series X version of Xbox Series X instead of Xbox Series X version of Ori and Will of the Wisps <laughs> so I was very confused. Um, Yeah, but all my notes say are, based on the technical shit I heard about this game, this sounds like it will be good. So yes. That was, that was my impression. Next up we have, um, this was very confusing for a while, like I couldn't tell what this was supposed to be. So we had a logo for a studio called Private Division. Um, but they are making a DLC pack for the Obsidian RPG, the Outer Worlds, not Outer Wilds, Outer Worlds. Um the DLC is called Peril on Gorgon. It will come out September ninth. Um I think they said also that there would be another a second story DLC coming out at some point. Um yeah, first of two story expansions. I, you know, that game was like fine. Yeah. I don't know I, I definitely do not need More of that game I think that game Needed less of that game In it so But if you liked it And it's, you know It doesn't seem like Obsidian is spending Their time on it It's like outsourced To this other studio um, Then we had um, A trailer for Grounded The I think everyone Just calls it this The Honey I Shrunk The Kids game yes. Of your like Tiny people in a big yard Or the giant The uh, season 2 episode Of Doctor Who From the classic Doctor Who Which is actually What I think of When I think of Tiny people running Around in a big world um this game i think had some sort of closed beta or something i remember hearing from people who played the game that they liked it i don't remember the context and how they played
0: the game i have it preloaded on my xbox right now because it's coming out this tuesday july 28th yeah it is technically in game preview which is like some kind of early access something or other as i said in my notes (laughs) yes but um it looks good it's a it's co-op it it looks interesting i've been excited to try that play that with my brother we like playing co-op games like this so um it certainly looks fun it had i thought a very good joke in the trailer of if you want the biggest game of the year go play cyberpunk 27 7
1: yeah it had a real like hollywood comedy trailer vibe to the way the trailer was cut
0: together i just like that that's the game they didn't do like halo infinite or anything that was in this show they did cyberpunk (laughs) because we all know with the actual biggest i think they do it'd be
1: way too tacky if they had said
0: an xbox studios game as the biggest game of the
1: year like everybody would have just like rioted in the streets it's like you cannot do that um yeah like that was a good bit um like they had this one uh line that i'm like really curious about um the game like what this means is they talked about trying to figure out how to tell an obsidian story in a co-op survival game and i'm like I don't know if that's something that's possible. Um, if you play it, Jonathan, you'll have to let me know how yes. what kind of story content there is. Because it's it just weird that they didn't pitch anything about there being a story in the game. And then the guy that talked about it afterwards said that line. I'm like, that's okay. Well, sure. Um, then we had World Premiere uh, for the next big Obsidian RPG um, it is a fantasy setting as i found out later it is um in the pillars of eternity universe which is the like throwback. i didn't know that yeah it's the throwback crpgs they made that got kickstarted um a while ago so it's that same setting i mean it's just like it's a fantasy
0: setting um and, that actually makes me more interested in it because i know people really like those games and yeah. that means they've already done a bunch of work on world building sure so they have yeah. something to go off of that's cool yeah
1: and so it's a it's a as far as I can tell, it was like a fully CG trailer. Um, the yeah. game is called Avowed. It ends with like a shot of a dude, first person shot of a dude with a sword in one hand and magic in the other that looked a lot like Skyrim. So like, while they did not say Obsidian is making their Skyrim, I think everybody's takeaway is they're making some sort of Skyrim. Um, no date or anything on it.
0: I also love that this world yeah. is called Aora, yes. which is funny because Final Fantasy fourteen, the world is Aorza. So just... You know, there's only so much bullshit
1: fantasy names that can
0: possibly exist.
1: Eventually, they're just going to start overriding each other. But yeah, like this is like if this game turns out, it could be huge, right? Like, yeah, like Obsidian classically has had really good storytelling in their games, like um, Outer Worlds uh, aside. So, like if they they really like put their all into this, and and Microsoft gives them like that kind of first party backing to make a big open world fantasy game. That could be awesome. But it is also a like CG only trailer. So it's right. very much a... This could be very cool. Um, it's a
0: statement of intent. Yes. Not a trailer. Yeah.
1: Um, then we had Matt Booty on stream. Which I just like saying because his name is Matt Booty. He's like a guy who works for Microsoft. Um, he th- said they're working with a new studio called Interior Night. And then Carolyn Michelle uh, who is the founder of Interior Night was on stream. And she came on saying bonjour. And then she said that they are making a narrative game that is uh, takes place... 30 over the course of 30 years in the american southwest and i was immediately struck by this why do all these french people love making games set in fucking america i just want to play one game set in france or french canada please just please french people make games in france i, I think it'd be cool i'd like to play a french game with i french want people that speak
0: french i want my tim hortons tower defense game defend yeah. the tim hortons yes. from the american invaders exactly uh, it's it's
1: just Especially just coming off of Ubisoft It just feels so weird To have like someone like literally come on the stream Saying bonjour and then having And then we're telling a story about the American Southwest And like the complexities of like Interracial marriage because there's like a, a Like interracial couple in the trailer They showed but it's like some sort of like 2D Aesthetic they pitch it as an in- Original interactive drama which says Like to me it's like basically maybe like um, A very visually elaborate Visual novel type game There you go Yeah, As Dusk Falls Is the name of the game Looks cool Um, Then Ninja Theory uh, Talked a little bit About Hellblade 2 Um, They're saying That they're developing It on Unreal Engine 5 Which I think Had already been announced Um, The game is going to be Set in Iceland And there is a Behind the scenes Development diary On their YouTube channel The main reason I mention that Is I find it Fucking hilarious That This game and then Assassin's Creed Valhalla They both like started talking About their games with and then and we went To Iceland or we went to Norway And you can watch us go and like Hang out in like the old touristy Like Viking Hall recreations And eat like and drink mead and shit Um but they it's set in Iceland There's no like new footage of the game they just kind of Cut a bunch of footage from the old Trailer uh I still I suspect that that old Trailer is still CG like they like
0: I want to see that game um, but they're still making it yes which is great i mean yeah the original hellblade is one of the most interesting games of this entire generation one of the most out there and i like that ninja theory just kind of has that big you know publisher backing to to go yeah. wild with this next one so um yeah looks good We'd just like to see the game
1: yeah um then uh double fine was there with jack black uh who is voicing the mote of light as they say uh he's he was hanging out with tim Schafer. Uh, and they, they just showed a trailer for psychonauts 2 the sequel to psychonauts 1 with jack
0: black singing a theme song yes. which was surprisingly fun i really yes. liked crooning jack black yes it's like it a very fun. like
1: psychedelic 70s kind of crooning yes. tune um yeah like i've never played psychonauts 1 i know that people really like it uh this seems cool there's no there so there's no date on this trailer but then it was later confirmed that the game has been pushed to 2021 because it was originally going to come out this fall um yeah and that game is going to be multi-platform because it was in development before double Fine got bought by microsoft uh, moving on so then we had sarah bond head of xbox partnerships on the stream and she talked about uh destiny 2 for a little bit and said that destiny 2 will be enhanced for series x which we already knew um but it will also be on game pass in september with like and
0: it being in game pass means like all the stuff because the core game is this awesome. was one of the most exciting announcements to me and as a game pass pitch really good Especially as someone who missed the last Destiny 2 yeah. expansion. This is awesome. Just to be able to boot up Destiny 2. All the, exp- the stuff will be there. Beyond Light, when it comes out, will be on Game Pass Day 1. Which, that's 40 bucks. I mean, that's a really good deal. Yeah. I've been wanting to get back into Destiny 2. This makes it a hell of a lot easier. Um, and it's only on Game Pass um, for console right now. But they did say outside of the show... That they are trying to work with Bungie to figure out how to do it on Game Pass for PC as well, which would be wild and would be really yeah. cool. Yeah,
1: because then she also mentioned here briefly, like streaming the game, um, which I was thought this would be something that would show up at the show more explicitly. But Microsoft did earlier announce that on um, their X Cloud game streaming service, which has been in beta for like five years, it's been forever that that game thing has been in beta, that that will be rolled into Xbox Game Pass Ultimate so i'll be trying that when it comes out because i have xbox game pass ultimate yeah so we'll so i think it was like just a very brief mention of that so that's the thing that they'll be doing um then they showed i'm pretty sure this is like an old trailer of destiny 2 beyond light because it looked very familiar to me but they just showed a trailer for that expansion which comes out november 10th 2020 which got that date got pushed back a little bit um uh, uh, we'll just reiterate destiny 2. please just put your uh expansions in like january or something where people can play them Next up, we got the most interesting announcement of any game here, Stalker 2. Um, it is a world premiere console launch exclusive. Uh, so, Stalker 2 is a game that was announced, I think, back in 2007. Uh, for people who don't know, Stalker is a... Stalker: Shadow of Chernobyl is an incredible first-person shooter on PC. It's absolutely great. Phenomenal game. They made two sort of expansions to it. Clear Skies and Call of Pripyat, which I haven't played a lot of those Um, but the studio that made that, um, WCG, I forget what that stands for, but the studio WCG shut down. Most of the people who made Stalker went on and joined the studio that makes Metro. And so the Metro games are like a sort of ex- spiritual sequel, more or less, to Stalker. Uh, they, they just basically went from a game based on one Russian novel to games based on a different Russian novel. Uh, and then, so that studio shut down and the pro- project, obviously, Stalker 2 got canceled when the studio shut down. Several years after that, the studio got refounded. I don't know if it's a lot of the same people or not. Because I think a lot of those people still are making Metro games. Um, and then after the studio got refounded, they re-announced that they were working on Stalker 2. That was several years ago. And so then now this is the first time we've actually seen anything of it. Uh, and what is... I think they confirmed it's like an in-engine trailer of like, this is like our target of what we want the game to look like. Uh, but... Given all that stuff around it I love Stalker Shadow of Chernobyl to death that game is amazing but I would be I would caution anybody who liked that game from getting too excited right away uh, because it is just one I don't know of any other studios that died and then came back and then started working on the game they were working on
0: when the studio got shut down. Yeah, so I have more details here, Sean. Shadow of Chernobyl was 2007. Okay. Then there were the DLCs in 2008, 2009. Stalker 2 was announced in 2010 with a release date of 2012. Um, And that was with that original team. Um, And then uh, it was canceled completely in 2012 when the studio shut down. Then in 2018, a Facebook page for the game Cossacks 3.
1: Yes, um, which was the
0: other franchise that that studio had made um announced that they were making a stalker 2 for 2021 in unreal engine 4 and sergey Galionkin, the creator of steam spy uh tweet was the guy who i guess founded the new version of gsc game world GSC, this um, was, yeah. and yeah and then this is the most we've heard about it since
1: it's fucking weird it's so weird it's just such a weird development history um yeah yeah so like it's good again stalker is awesome um it's then for people who are curious yes it is based on the same novel that the Tarkovsky movie is yes. based on so or the Tarkovsky movie um, Tarkovsky stalker yes. would be quite
0: interesting but Tarkovsky's yeah. stalker is still good yeah I've been watching too much samurai jack um
1: but yeah so stalker 2 crazy like to me it was like the most like what the fuck because I had kind of forgotten the game had gotten reannounced um re- weird thing I hope that game comes out in good uh but we'll see then world premiere console launch exclusive warhammer 40k dark tide Coming out in 2021, it is a Warhammer 40k version of the Vermintide games, which are basically Left For Dead clones in the Warhammer universe. So this is that, only instead of it being fantasy, it is like Space Marines. Moving on. World premiere console launch exclusive. Uh, Tetris Effect Connected, which is an updated version of Tetris Effect, which came out last year. Um,
0: no, Tetris Effect is 2018, I think. Two years 2018, ago? I think yeah, yeah. So
1: two years ago. Um, and it, Tetris Effect Connected is basically that game with like multiplayer and I think they said like refined single player or something um, which will come out on Xbox Series X holiday 2020 and then there will be a free update for all the existing platforms so PS4 and uh, Steam that will come out summer 2021 that will update Tetris Effect to Tetris Effect Connected which this was like a weird confusing
0: announcement to me <laughs> why yeah. was this in the main show like it's great Tetris yeah test is, is an
1: awesome game like that fucking uh connected yours forever song that they played in the trailer is like oh yeah this song fucking is awesome it's, it's all like, the music so is
0: good. awesome it's a great game and more people should be able to play it so i'm glad it's coming to more platforms but why are you announcing a two-year-old game that you're getting a little bit of new content with in your mainstream this this would have been something to put in the pre-show and take that um ball in wonder world and put that in the main show yeah but whatever very weird like I'm curious about the the business
1: deals around like I don't know if it never came to Xbox because Sony sort of helped fund the game or something like to make it like a console launch exclusive for Sony or, or well, if
0: they're just like we're a Japanese developer and we just don't aren't going to make it on the xbox well it was because it was a vr game it's true Um, yes um tetris effect um apparently is phenomenal in vr i've never gotten to try that but it was a p it was a big psvr game and then on windows you could also use the oculus rift or the htc vive so xbox has no vr solution obviously so um that's just not going to be a part of it here but yeah yeah but i like the idea of like this game just like taking
1: sony's money to be a console launch exclusive and they're like We'll add some new stuff to the game, and that will be a console launch exclusive for you. For, yeah. yeah, because there definitely was a weird, like, the dude saying console launch exclusive, and then it's Tetris Effect. I'm like, I don't think you know what those words mean. Uh, I've already played this video game. It's very good. Yes. Um, moving on, world premiere, console launch exclusive. Um, this, the Gunk, uh, which is some sort of, like, third-person platformer game where you suck up goo um i think it's made by the people who made the steam world games
0: yes um, it's the steam world people and it's their first big 3d game and the steam yeah. world games are great yeah. so this was not like a super impressive trailer but i've liked every steam world game i've touched so i'm sure this will be interesting yeah
1: and there was no date on that trailer but they said
0: after the fact that it will be coming 2021
1: sometime yeah. 2021 um then console launch exclusive but not world premiere because this was at the may event that they had uh Bloober teams the medium Um, Which is the sort of horror game with the um, music by the composer for Silent Hill Uh, We got This was like more of a gameplay trailer for that game That showed the dual reality gameplay as they call it um, That leverages the SSD So this is like a true blue next-gen exclusive So it uses the uh, the SSD to basically allow you to flip between two different parallel worlds uh, In real time um, In a very like legend of zelda linked to the past like dark world overworld kind of scenario where it's the same geometry but like yeah. in one it's like all hell like devil version and then it's like the real world like spooky house uh so yeah like i don't know if like i'm gonna like you know go out and get that game but it was cool to see this is like one of the few okay you're showing like a gameplay trailer that is pitching me something about a next-gen video game this is like the only thing that did that at microsoft is like something it gave me something next up world premiere and console launch exclusive from Sega. Another very confusing announcement. I still don't know. I don't know if anybody knows what this game is. Um, Fantasy Star Online 2 New Genesis coming 2021, Um, which obviously PSO2 is a game that's been out, I think, for eight years. Like, it's a game that was once announced for the PS Vita before that version of the game was canceled. Um, That very recently came out over in the West um, on Xbox and Windows Store. Because uh, it was only in Japan for a very long time. And then this is an updated... Like, it's not an expansion for that game. It's not, like, strictly new content, as far as I can tell. It is areas from the original game, but they just look way nicer. So I don't know if it's a visual overhaul. I don't know if it's a Final Fantasy XIV Realm Reborn scenario.
0: Absolutely no idea what this is. Yeah,
1: except that it's for that's
0: called PSO2 New Genesis. Yeah, it's... The Wikipedia calls it a massive, updated, and separate game um yeah and it it's so actually the history of pso2 is kind of interesting sean because it is on vita in japan oh yeah that did come out yeah. um but it was yeah it came out on windows in japan in 2012 so it was japan only for a long time it's on the ps4 and switch over there as well in america in the west it is an exclusive to the xbox ecosystem including windows um for the for the english version i did play a little bit of it when it came out on xbox and it's a really good you know a console port controller support and all that um free to play and everything um this seems like it would be a good place for newcomers to start but that's not how they launched it it's kind of confusing
1: yeah it's just so it's like i it really needed context to just tell me what the game was when i saw the trailer because it's like yeah is this pso3 no no okay um but yeah uh moving on console launch exclusive crossfire x uh which is something they showed i think last year um, it's, like, based on... I think it's a Chinese franchise. It's, like, a mobile game or something that's really popular in China. This was, like, one where they showed a trailer at Microsoft E3 and had no context for it at all. And there's a separate... I have no idea what this is. It's some sort of, like, Call of Duty-looking modern military thing. Um, Sean, I'm looking
0: at it right now. The yeah. trailer
1: is playing before my eyes, and I still don't remember it. Yeah. Um, it's coming 2020. The most notable thing to me about the trailer, Jonathan, is it has the most hilarious... Uh, like soulful slow cover of a song for a trailer ever do you know what it is Jonathan did you,
0: did you read this oh I remembered it. it what was it it's X gonna give it to you yeah by was, DMX Which, I don't think I noticed it while I was watching yeah, it. It's yeah
1: it's hard to notice while you're watching it because of all the songs to make a like slow soulful emotional version of X gonna give it to you is like the polar opposite of that tone <laughs> so it's like really changes the song But if you have not listened to that trailer... Or like watched it... Since learning that information... You have to watch it and listen... Because when... Because it's... You know... I have no idea what the lyrics before DMX goes... X gonna give it to you is... Because it's just like... So fast I can't understand what he's saying... But... And it's kind of... So when the person is saying those lyrics in the song... It just doesn't sound like anything to me... But then when they get to singing the chorus... It is the most hilarious thing ever... It sounds like it's supposed to be a fucking parody... Because who... I mean, obviously, it's because the game is called Crossfire X. But that is, like, the, the most superficial reason to pick X go to give it to you as the song to do the cover for. So funny. One of my favorite moments of the whole show uh, for very weird reasons. Um, then I think Phil Spencer came back on the stream and said, Today you saw 10 world premieres and 22 console launch exclusives. Um, the next-gen upgrades will be coming out for existing Xbox One games. And then he said, you can expect a launch lineup of over 100 titles, which feels very much a, technically that's probably true because Xbox One games are coming out uh, and lots of video games come out because lots of people make lots of video games, but that feels like a slightly disingenuous sentence to me. Um, And then he said, and and then we're going to leave you with one more thing. And that's when we got World Premiere, uh, Playground Games Presents... Uh, this is where my notes just say this has to be fable right question mark fable very brief cinematic teaser
0: uh uh and a fairy got eaten by a frog yes it is f- british fantasy but it's funny i've never played a fable game i have played
1: the three main fable games i have not because they made like some weird spin-offs, but i didn't play those but i've played the main fables they... i like fable okay yeah fable one and fable two are great games fable three was profoundly disappointing um, and then they made, like, a connect game with a horse in it. And no then, one liked that. And nobody liked that, and then uh, Microsoft shut the
0: studio down. Generally, though, people think this is a good idea, right? Playground doing Fable? I mean, sure.
1: I mean, it's hard to... It's, yeah. it's one of the problems about showing off a game with CG is, like... I mean, I am primed to be someone to get on board with Fable, but you have to, like, show me something yeah. that's more... Because I... I have no idea what Fable is in 2020. Like, it's been such a long time since those came out, right? It's like that franchise died basically before the Xbox One. So bringing it back now when particularly like pseudo open world action RPGs have changed a lot in the past eight or so years um, with like Witcher 3 and Breath of the Wild and all that stuff coming out. What is Fable in that context? I have no idea. They didn't say anything about it. They just showed a CG trailer that yeah. that all it pitched to me was that fable has like a tongue-in-cheek kind of sense of humor to it and it's very british which is true yeah. you know but but that's like not
0: it's better than if they had done the gritty reboot trailer yes. of like the fairy getting stabbed and yeah it you know. tells
1: you that they're not like totally off track and they're making the fable the the, the gritty <laughs> reboot right um
0: fable directed by Zack snyder yeah
1: but there's also something that's like you know, as someone who really liked those games, I think there is a danger, as with anything that is very like quirky, when bringing it back, particularly from people who are not the original creators, to then like focus a little bit on the wrong thing. That like those games were fairly funny back in the day. Like I haven't played them in a huge like I haven't played them since effectively like Fable three, so I can't vouch for them in a modern context. At the time, I remember them being fairly funny, um, but I think it'd be very easy to take the humor in those games.
0: And really fuck it up. It's interesting because what excites me about this announcement has nothing to do with this actual announcement. What excites me is Playground is a phenomenal developer. Their work on the Forza Horizon series is above and beyond. Those Horizon games are great. They have a wonderful sense of humor. They have so much character and personality. The worlds they build are so beautiful. The idea of setting them loose on a nice big fun medieval setting is great and and I think Fable is probably the right one in Microsoft's IP, you know, um, book yeah. to do right. And so that's and that's me having I've never touched a Fable game, um, and maybe I should at some point go back and try Fable Two. It's on Game Pass. I could play yeah, around. With Fable it. Two it. would be the one to play, right? But like that excites me. But this trailer, I already knew that because we all knew Playground was doing this. It was yes, an open it's secret. For, it's been yeah.
1: forever. Like, like how many E3s have we like gone into being like, And they are definitely going to announce that Playground Games is, yes. is making fable.
0: Yeah, so it's one of those things that like, when I talked earlier about it's like Xbox always having this potential that we feel like we're getting closer to. It's that kind of thing again, right? Yeah. Where it's like, I have a lot of faith that this could be something really special but this trailer added nothing to my understanding of that other than they're making it you know yeah and uh, yeah it's it's kind of like nintendo announcing metroid prime 4 yes it's like they're announcing a logo is what it feels like yes yes i'm happy i'm so happy they're doing it the studio's right in the case of metroid prime 4 they had to switch studios but they got it right eventually (laughs) yeah and uh and that's great but but i i obviously would need more And, and maybe this could be a great centerpiece game for holiday 2021 if it's ready by then but who knows yeah
1: and and that to me is like kind of the story of this whole showing. And and for Microsoft in general, yeah. in the Phil Spencer era of like trying to sort of right the ship after um, the disaster of the original launch of the Xbox One, is this like constant feeling of incredible potential. And, and then like executing on services and all that, like they're great on that, right? Like they're industry leading in terms of services and user experience and a lot of that stuff. But... In terms of games and this is like part of the problem with for me like saying well all these games are going to be on Game Pass is it's like that's cool and some of these games look cool and if I already had Game Pass obviously I would check them out but basically every new game I've played this year is a game that not only isn't on Game Pass but it's not even in the Microsoft ecosystem right stuff like Final Fantasy seven Remake, Ghost of Tsushima, Last of Us 2, Um, like Neo 2, which I haven't started playing yet, but I want to, uh, Persona 5 Royal, like most of those games, like you need to, to get me to jump ship and buy like a really expensive console and buy your subscription to Game Pass, you have to have a game that's going to pull me over. Um, And when you have like one, uh, you know, like a decent little gameplay chunk for Halo, which is a cross-gen game, and then four CG trailers basically for your other first-gen or like first-party next-gen games, that's just not going to be convincing to me to make me want to jump over the edge versus me knowing, come holiday, Spider-Man, Miles Morales is going to be on the PS5. And so it's like the pitch there for a new console
0: is so slim to me. Yeah, I agree. Pitch for a new console, very slim. And I don't know if I would recommend anyone pre-order the Xbox Series X based on what we know now, even though I think it looks like a phenomenal machine and I love the UI and all that stuff. And I'm pretty sure a lot of those things will be where i would want to be but here i do want to stand stick up for the xbox game pass part of this okay. more though because one thing is there have been several when i look at my like list of because i keep my running list throughout the year of games i've played i have three or four games on there that were new games that came out they were not xbox exclusives but they were on game pass which meant that i could have played them on switch or ps4 but i didn't have to pay extra for them to yeah. play them on xbox really enjoyed them they're games i would not have one of them um that I never have mentioned on the podcast, but I recommend so highly is called Moving Out. It's this um, indie game oh, yeah. where you you play with a it's a co op like only game and it's a perfect co op game where you help a, you help you play uh, movers and you're moving stuff out of houses and it's very very silly. I would never have tried that were it not for Game Pass and. I'm so happy I did. Grounded is one of those that I'm feeling like could be that kind of like little gem. Um, Streets of Rage 4 was on Game Pass. You know, even though it was everywhere, you could get it for free there or, you know, free with the service. And I think that is so So there is a constant stream of new stuff going into that. It tends to be because, you know, they're not getting um, Assassin's Creed on Game Pass day yeah. one, right? It tends to be kind of the indie stuff, but those gems can be. They hard to discover elsewhere so that's great combined with everything they showed in that show of like okay there's a real um commitment here to getting big stuff on game pass and continuing that little stuff that's really fun to see you know what i would say is if you have an xbox you should have game pass and discover some of this stuff because it's great and if you don't do you have a pc a lot of this will be on game pass for pc that's five bucks a month you don't have to pay extra for online like that's what i think is interesting about it is like um, I don't know if I would recommend people go out and buy an Xbox Series X, but I would say if you have anything else that can play it, or you're buying a new computer and you know it can play games or something like, then like Game Pass is something you might really want to consider having because man, they're not just—it's not just good now. It's clearly getting better. You know, if you're getting to the point where you have Destiny Two new expansions in there, that's getting better as a value proposition, um, and and that's the compelling thing. And and yes, would it be best if it were paired with And we have this super compelling hardware that has these two big interesting games that you couldn't play anywhere else. um, Or you would have to have a super high-end PC or something um, that seemed really special. And that's the part that's missing. But I do think that the Game Pass thing is one of those things that makes me feel like they are at some point going to put this all together. And I don't know what it's going to look like. But I already, you know, I I use it more than I, I thought I would when I got like a free trial a year ago. So...
1: Yeah, and I guess for me, the position I was in is when I had, for that summer, you know, my parents weren't around, so I just, like, sort of took the Xbox One, and I played Outer Wilds, and I got that, you know, that was when they did the ridiculous, like, $1 for whatever. Three months, ago. Yeah, Um, and I had it, and I played Outer Wilds, and then I, like, messed around with Forza and Gears a little bit, and and Void Bastards, and just, like, nothing else really grabbed me, and I was like, okay. Um, And I think that's part of the problem with the pitch of, like not i think game pass works best as this like once you're in you're you're there right yeah and what
0: microsoft needs is something that like opens that door for people. that's a, that's the point i agree yeah. and i think that's how i was trying to say it is they do need that thing to like yank you into it because yeah because it's a huge cost to get in the door right if you're going from not
1: having it or like for me like it's not convenient to use the xbox yeah. one like going from buying a new console and then buying 120 for a year or whatever um like that's a big upfront cost that obviously is going to pay off yeah. but you have to convince me to to pay that upfront cost
0: yeah and from where i'm sitting i was reasonably happy with this show in just in the sense of like i on my analytical brain i you know everything i've said in my i have an xbox and i play this stuff brain i'm like that's a lot of cool stuff I don't have to pay extra for. Yeah. I'm really glad it, you know, Halo Infinite is probably gonna be a November game and I'm buying other stuff in November. I don't have to pay a goddamn dime extra for it because my game pass is renewed through the end of the year. That's great. Yeah. But I agree. But would Halo Infinite have been that hook had I not had any of that? Probably not. No. So yeah. so that's that's I agree.
1: Yeah. So it's like yes yeah, so that's like from my position, it just feels like I don't like legitimately watching this, I'm I don't know why Microsoft is Releasing a console, right? And I have a little bit of that feeling with Sony, but Sony showed at least three games that are like next-gen games. They showed Ratchet and Clank, they showed Spider-Man, and they showed Horizon Two. Like, yeah, three games that I can look at and be like, "That's those are trailers," and then a fucking game demo for games that are on a next-gen system. And it feels like they're committed to making a new console. And then watching Microsoft, it's just like. I think at some point it's like if I were to get into this ecosystem
0: I would just buy it. I would just put the money into getting a gaming PC. Exactly. And and I think that might be the smarter thing. And and that's why like even though there are certain things about the Series X that have been announced that I like more. I'm not planning on getting it this year. If I get one of the new ones it's going to be the PS5. Because I know that's where games you and I will want to play to talk about on the podcast will be. Um... And with Series X stuff, I could get that. I could play that on a PC. I could play that on my Xbox One. Um, and some of that, you know, they say that's what they want. Uh, well, you know, I don't yeah, know. But then they, why
1: are you making the console, right? Like, that's kind of... It's like... it's. I feel like Microsoft, like... Their messaging, like, was really solid. And then now it just feels, like, really mushy to me after this show. Like, there's yeah. just a lot of, like, questions I have about what they're doing. Where their games are going. Like, yeah. It's well, like also which is weird to me.
0: With PS four and to PS five, it's also like that thing of if you are a PS four player who has played at least some of their first party titles from the beginning of the generation to now, you've seen that arc from like kills let's say infamous second son to Ghost yeah. of Tsushima. Yeah. And you can feel that gap and you can also play Ghost of Tsushima and say, Okay, this is about as hard as they can push this thing, and I see why they want to do something new now. And then you see a trailer for, like, um, Ratchet & Clank or Horizon 2 and go, Yep, I see why we're getting new hardware and we're going to continue this arc forward. But you couldn't do more of it on the PS4. Yeah. It's already... I can hear the fan when Last of Us 2 is running. Yeah. I know there's nothing more they can do with this thing, right? Yeah. So, so this PS4 is crying out for mercy. Yes. Please, we must get uh, better hardware in here. <laughs> yeah. Please, better thermals. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's, it's better cooling. We're so... It's so loud. But yes, it's... Uh, yeah, but the Xbox just doesn't... Because because one, the One X is already... I think they almost shot themselves in the foot with it. The One X can play a lot of what you throw at it so well. You just don't feel that same kind of mm. like... Even with third-party games. Like there's some third-party games you play on the PS4 Pro and go, eh, this could look better. You don't usually have that on the Xbox One X because it usually does look better. Yeah. And it's... So, it you know, it's this weird middle ground. Like the PS4 Pro... I don't love it as an upgrade, but one thing they did smart is they didn't make it such an upgrade that it killed yeah, the enthusiasm. Yeah, The delta for the PS4. between
1: the original PS4 and the PS4 Pro is much smaller than the original Xbox One, which yeah. was underpowered, and the, the One X, which
0: is almost overpowered. Yeah. So, who knows? Um, we're in a weird place, and and you know, I, I think you should also any release dates or plans should all have an asterisk around them because of uh, COVID. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. Yeah,
1: it was like a weird show that like I think was mostly good. It's just like I came out of it feeling yeah. confused. Because, it, because if I came out of it and was like, oh, and yeah, and they're making a new console, right? Yeah. like It just didn't feel like they pushed this idea that they're making a really expensive machine. And I just don't know if you can put a really expensive machine on the market and have it be successful without pushing it.
0: like I just didn't, yeah. I'm really curious to see how the, the thing performs. I, I, think, I think every not E3 2020 show has been pretty underwhelming to me uh i think sony may be the least because there was just this tangible like there are games i'm not gonna play elsewhere on this thing yeah if yeah it felt Spider-Man. like it
1: felt to me like sony it didn't like excel but it like it hit all the requirements it needed it just didn't it just didn't go above and beyond and everything else has felt like it just hasn't even hit the requirements it needed to be like yeah th- 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 like th- th- it didn't do what it needed to do on a very basic level
0: yeah i think that's a good way to say it All right. Do you want to wrap up the news and and finish this with a little Ghost of Tsushima talk? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So Ghost of Tsushima, if you want absolutely no spoilers, go elsewhere. I don't think we're going to Yeah, we talked about it last week, um, briefly. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk about basically things in Act 1 because we've played all of Act 1 and we've both played some of Act 2. It's a three-act game. Um, My brother tells me Act 1 is the longest and Act 3 is the shortest and 2 is somewhere in the middle, which is about what I thought. Yeah.
1: Which is like if you go on the map, you can see that it's like... 24 zones or whatever in Island 1 17 I think in the middle one then 15 in the third one yeah so
0: so yeah um what do you think Sean?
1: I really like it a lot um yeah yeah, like I'm still I I I I think the thing I like the most about it is the way it just lets me very much play at my own pace um as someone who I think has played a lot more of these kinds of open world games than you like those games like the Assassin's Creed games Mafia Far Cry like um all those games have this like they're always like yanking you, um, and I think a lot of that is just like there's always a big shiny glowing arrow on your screen and a waypoint that takes up like you know six of the screen in the corner with like a bunch of fucking little symbols on it and like and like a person calling you on your cell phone saying you got to get over here and do this like like those games are shouting at you and telling you to do all this stuff and Ghost of Tsushima, particularly if you're playing it in the Kurosawa mode, which which like. You know, obviously bleeds all the color out so you don't have like big shining golden thing golden things on your screen all over the place and stuff like that, and the fact that there is no mini map and you're just you can just wander around the game just enables me to be like, "I just wanna kind of go do some shit and I can just go do some shit, and I don't feel it doing the thing that a lot of these games eventually do, which burns me on them, which is like yank me from one collectible thing like this and then eventually that's the like checklist effect, and I've played. God knows how much of this game and I have not yet hit um, me feeling like I'm just marking things off on a
0: checklist. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. And I think it is the best thing about the game's presentation of an open world is that it's very gentle in how it moves you along. It really... It's like curiosity in the world and the story is what's going to drive you. yeah, Um, Not here are five shining blinking objects that you have to go do right now. It's it's not the GTA mini map where you can see five different mission icons. Yeah, you, you open up the map and it's there, but it's it's just not as, as, yeah, as you say. Yeah,
1: like the way I've been playing the game and I've just been enjoying this so much is I will open up my map and I will like put my objective marker on like the next major thing I want to do. So it's like over here is like the next main story mission or... My favorite thing in the game is the legends or whatever where you get like special armor or like the special techniques and stuff that are like like really elaborate quest chains. And I'll like put my marker there and so the wind will be pointing in that direction. And then I kind of look and like mark out of my head. It's like I heard like these things from other people in the world that put like there's a base over here. There's a side mm-hmm. quest over here. Um, and I'm just going to work my way in that direction but allow myself to wander around and hit all this other stuff along the way. And I end up having what feels like these like extended four to five hour play sessions or like sometimes it's not contiguous but it can be broken up a little bit. But like these like in my head are basically like chapters of the story that I have kind of constructed for myself based on these journeys, these wandering journeys I've taken around the map. That was like you can see because of the fog of war like this was where I went like up here on the coast and I got distracted by the shrine and went up here and jumped down and went and did this thing with, you know, Ishikawa sensei and then went up and like, as I'm slowly filling in the map, it works that way. And that just a, the game giving me the space to wander around feels
0: so nice. Oh, absolutely. And I, and that's exactly how I've been playing it. I really like doing it that way as well. Um, once in a while. It's also, it's been a fun podcast game for me once in a while where if I need to if I just need to listen to something but I want to like do something with my hands it's been fun to be able to go into the world and it it I agree it doesn't it never gets to this full level of the checklist effect but if I want to just go knock some shit out it's a fun game to turn my brain off a little bit and do that but the difference between it and Assassin's Creed is if I want to turn my brain back on I feel rewarded for it yes so like the other night the new Taylor Swift album came out surprise folklore great great album but but I was listening to it's you know an hour and 10 minute album and and I'm sitting there and I'm I'm uh, listening to the album and playing the game doing stuff that I like. don't need sound for in this case I was basically doing the thing where at the beginning of Act 2 you unlock all those farms
1: and uh-huh, if you yeah. do them all
0: then you get the um, the Gochiku what's it called the, the yeah. really nice armor yeah it's, yeah, it's like Gosaku like I think is, Gosaku yeah. yes um, and I was just went and did a bunch of those because it's like those are just kind of simple combat encounters um, and that was really fun, um, and I, I did that. I've done that with some with podcasts, just running around and getting some stuff in the world. Yeah, and, I basically did the same thing
1: where I, yeah, it's like I turned off curacao mode and, like, yeah. Um, yeah, listened to a podcast, and I ran around and like filled in some of the spaces in the first yep. island that I hadn't quite done, and yeah, did all yeah. those farm things. Yeah,
0: exactly. But then if I want to take out the Taylor Swift headphones, put on the video game headphones and get back into the world and do some story stuff, I can, and I feel like I'm being rewarded for my time. So that's a really special thing to have in a game like this. You know, I, I do think it's bloated. I do think it's too big, and I think it's too long, and I think there are, like, too many things. Like, I think there are... T- Just at this point, I have seen too many haiku stands. Mm-hmm. I have seen too many fox dens. I have seen not enough of those bamboo strikes, because those are actually really fun, and I want more of that. Yes. Um. Yeah. But, like, a lot of those basic things, like like i love the fox the fox is really cute um i i don't need there are apparently 49 in the game that's fucking ridiculous mm. there could have been half as many of those the haiku thing that is cool a couple of times there are just too many um i really really love the shrine climbs but i think the reward just being more charms and at this point i have like 50 charms for five slots that's nuts there's a lot of stuff like that where i feel like the game is i think it has just a few too many tools I think it has a few too many moves I generally actually like the skill tree in this because it is so tangible it's impacting your gameplay but I think there's just a few too many branches on things I think it is bloated but it is not bloated in the way of an Assassin's Creed where I look at it and I'm like I'm done and I walk away it's bloated in the sense of I'm probably going to need to slow down so I don't fatigue myself like definitely I don't think I will probably play as much this coming week as I did this last week because I just know when I'm getting fatigued and I do need to go do other things Um, and you know I wish the game were a little smaller and more compact to accommodate that like when you get to act two you meet the monk dude Norio yeah and he's cool but I looked at his first mission and said, a Norio story, one of nine. And I rolled my eyes into the back of my head because it is ludicrous. And I think it's the same with Ishikawa Sensei and Masako, Masako ono, Yeah. where it's like, I don't need nine missions for each of those. That is a lot. And, and, you know, so there's some of that. But generally when I'm playing it, I still, I love the gameplay. I have some little nagging issues I can get into. This is not a, I hate this game criticism. This is more a... This game is not immune from all the things that make me fatigued with open worlds. It's definitely there. Um, but I think the meat of it is so much better, and the way you experience it is is improved. I just don't think it's perfect.
1: Yeah, like I, I agree that I think it needs, yeah, I think fewer of those things and like more. I mean, because there is, compared to a lot of these open world games, there is still like way more like kind of downtime and space between Absolutely, yeah. areas. But I think it could use a little bit more than that. It's one of those things where I feel like these games end up being like. I don't think these games are designed for people who are going to play and do everything necessarily in mind. It's a little bit of that, like... I think it's one of the things that Breath of the Wild did well was, like, making that mindset seem so fucking ridiculous with the Korok seeds that, like... Obviously, there are people who did it and got all of them and they got handed a pile of shit or whatever it was. That's literally the joke, is that... And so, yeah, like, that game is just, like, here's, like, five million of these pointless little tiny things... And it's, like, they're they're designed for you to be, like, little tiny things you do along your journey and you don't really think about it. Um, and I think this game is, like, not quite there where Breath of the Wild is, where it, like, totally disincentivizes it enough that, like, it kills that completionist mentality. Um, because I think if you're someone who does, like, want to do most of the main side quests and then do the main story thing and then you'll hit the stuff along the way, I, th- I suspect the game is, like, really well tuned for that play experience um and i but i do agree that i feel like if you want to hit everything and experience everything the game has to offer which is what i definitely want to do it has too much of the, like i don't really want to go to get the poxed in right now and like the thing i'm on the way to do is still really exciting and a lot of the stuff i'm counting along the way is really exciting but some of the smaller stuff there's just so much of it that yeah. it just loses
0: the novelty of it like something breath of the wild did really smartly is that like corok seeds don't appear on the map there's sure, not yeah. a there's not a constant counter of like here's how many of these you've you've well there is a counter of how many you've gotten but not like how many are left. Yeah. There's not a it, it just doesn't it doesn't like if you have that completionist mentality and you open your map it's not going to be like ah oh, there's four question marks over here I need to unlock the four question marks and yes Ghost of Tsushima is much less loud and insistent on it but it's still if you have it's a little it's hard for me to just if i'm in an area and i open the map and it says there's four question marks it's hard for me not to like go immediately find those four question mm-hmm. marks you know yeah. um, and and i think fewer of those and maybe more of just let it breathe in the world you know would be cool but um yeah it's it's an it's it's bloated but i still really like it and i am still they're still working in some new surprises and stuff like i just unlocked the the poison dart thing
1: oh i haven't gotten that
0: oh okay yeah um so that's a whole mission where well i want to spoil where where it comes from but it's a cool thing um and i haven't even played much story in act two i've been doing so many other because when act two opens up there's just a lot of little things you can go to including just exploring this whole new island um well it's the same island but second part of it yeah and it's it's really cool and actually one thing i did to kind of like combat some fatigue sean is i played most of act all of act one in kurosawa mode and once in a while would switch to look at it in color and for act two i decided to switch over and i'm playing more in color now and that's just fun because it kind of like makes it feel like a new yeah i've been doing the same thing of where i will like switch it up a little bit and i try like
1: kurosawa mode is still like the default i go back to but switching between them
0: keeps them both more fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, one, the the limitation of Kurosawa mode obviously is that if everything is black and white, everything's going to look a little more samey as you go mm-hmm. along. And that Second Island really is quite a different environment in a lot of cool ways. And if you turn it to color, that's obviously heightened for you more. Um, and, and also just getting to enjoy the game's spectacular and stunning use of color. Yeah. This is one of the most gorgeous games. I love the art direction in this game. It is so, so good. Um, but yes, when I if i remember, if i ever have to do a duel or something or like big story missions Kurosawa mode is my default cuz that's what this game is in my head yeah. is just just icy black blood spraying through the air and covering my white traveler's clothes cuz that's what i kind of yeah, default yeah, to yeah when, when i you have the traveler's clothes on i also make them all white yes cuz yeah. then they look really good splattered in blood um, i do have one complaint about Kurosawa mode okay that i've noticed going between them i don't love what they do
1: with the sound of the game i agree yeah i wish there was like a slider or something that you could lessen
0: the effect of the filter because i i get why the filter is there but i think it's too extreme it's much too aggressive and the the whole idea if if you don't know is with kurosawa mode is that they make the sound they try to make it sound more like an old japanese movie which means it's a little muffled the dynamic range is narrowed they don't quite go to like mono audio but they definitely limit the stereo separation as much and it's really night and day because when you go listen to the the normal mode the sound is so good and vibrant and like the footsteps and everything it's great and it's one of those things where it's like this, and I also think this a little bit about the degree of, like, the number of scratches they put on yeah. it in, in the visuals. Is that, okay, but that's not how Kurosawa shot the movie. Like, that's how these movies have been passed down to us. is because, over time, they have degraded a little bit. Seven Samurai, we don't have the negative for anymore. I think we're working on the inner positive, which is naturally grainier and has accumulated more dirt and stuff. The sound is more muffled over time. Not necessarily because that's how it was recorded. Um so, like, that's a weird fetishization of, like, how the movies exist now. But it's not how they were made, strictly. And I think visually, they mostly get it. I think the dirt and scratches are a little overzealous. But the sound is definitely over, like... Yeah. Like, that's, that's really not how they sound. If Especially if you were to go back to 1950 Japan and hear it, they probably didn't sound like that. Yeah. Um, and I agree. I wish it was just... I, I, I think doing something with the sound is smart because... If it were just the full dynamic 7.1 sound mix on that, it would be a little off, but you could do it much less extreme than they've done. Yeah, that's why I just feel like an option needs to
1: be there. I think that for like a couple of things, like the subtitles are too small, which is true of like every game except for the Last Days yeah. Two. It's like every fucking game makes the subtitles tiny. Which I,
0: you know, I, Witcher Three on Switch. It's the one reason to play Witcher Three on Switch is they made the text larger and it's great. Yeah, it's like it's only when you're absolutely forced to as a developer that it's like okay, yeah. fine, we'll make the
1: text something that like a human being can read um, from any sort of distance. Um, yeah, so it's like it's it's especially coming from Last of Us Two, which has like such a bizarre like in luxurious wealth of options in terms of that kind of stuff um, where you can tweak just like everything in that game if you go to the accessibility options. It's like Ghost of Tsushima does have some good options, but it doesn't have quite enough. I also desperately wish you could turn off... um... All the
0: help icons?
1: Oh, yes, yeah. So it doesn't have tutorial tips you can't turn off, which is like... Very occasionally, it'll still pop up, and it's like fucking bizarre. It's it's all...
0: Like, I was playing the other day, and I was using one stance on someone because i was just going to cut him down and then use the stance i was already in for this guy over there and it stopped the game yes yeah i said, did that to
1: me once like two days ago fuck Wait, off. But... And every... yeah, i get that when you're like introducing me to the stance doing that once is fine but yeah they doing it
0: again so far into the game I'm like why what and also like every time i'm on low health it still tells me press down to I'm like sure i know yeah. i know game yeah so that one weird. i don't
1: even notice because i'm yeah. in the middle of combat um there's there's yeah so there's that um i feel like there was another icon that pops up or something that's just like why just like let me like let me tweak some more of this stuff because usually like sony first party in particular is usually really good at that like horizon zero dawn has like really granular options for customizing hud and stuff like that i wish the game had a little bit more of that oh the the other thing i was going to say is you can't um toggle off like the bow and arrow showing up on your back on some of the uh god like uh armor yeah. items you get which for the samurai armor i'm fine with them being there it looks so weird when you're wearing the hakama the like ronin outfit which is yeah. my favorite outfit in the game except where i don't want the big fucking bow and arrows on my back um yeah. so i'm usually i got the kensei armor which has like a little like grass cape thing that gets rid of that so i'm fine with it now but like so a couple of those little options and items and stuff like that in the game which I suspect probably some of that stuff will get eventually get patched yeah. in because it's very These easy. are not huge problems, I yeah. should say, but, you know, they're yeah. little nagging annoyances. But the things that, you know, are great about the game that we didn't go into detail last time is um, I fucking love the combat, especially where I am now. Like, one thing I was really shocked at with Act 2 um, that has kept me really invested in the game is how much the game keeps on adding and expanding, um, particularly in terms of enemy types. It has so many different enemy types and, like, varieties within... The enemies of... There's like... I Because I thought by the time of Act 1 I had seen every variation of a dude who has a spear that was in the game. And it's yes. like, no. There's like three or four more you encounter in Act 2. You have a whole other enemy type with the Ronin that show up. You've got like dudes with flaming arrows and flaming swords and fucking big cannons. The guys who throw the like bombs at the yes, ground. Yes, yeah, yeah. It was like, yeah. Sapper dudes that throw bombs. So the game continues to introduce new enemy types that has kept the combat fresh. And I think the thing I really love about the game and the thing that like reminds me of most of the open world games i've loved in the sort of modern era of open worlds games like sleeping dogs games like mafia um they allow you to really specifically and granularly in the gameplay the red Dead Redemption 2 is probably actually the best game for this enact out your like fantasy from the source material they're pulling from because it's just like the specificity i feel like i'm able to get in like the being able to, through playing the combat scenarios, orchestrate the kind of fight I want to have. It feels so rich in that way. Um, particularly once you have all the tools and the special moves and stuff available to you and you give all the stances and the abilities within the stances and your parries and all that all that shit leveled up, which is basically where I am now. Like when I go into a fight, I'm like I'm actively limiting some of the things I do. Like I almost never do the like standoff thing anymore because instead of having the game have this little standoff thing I can do to cut down a bunch of dudes um like the dramatic version of the opening of a samurai fight I'm at the point where it's like I want to just do that stuff with the basic combat which I can do right so I'll like ride up to a dude in the like middle of like a bridge or whatever it's a random enemy encounter and slowly jump off my horse and walk up to him and swipe right on my uh, touchpad to draw my sword and they notice me and come at me and I like parry the first dude like hit him do the fucking he didn't send the, the heavenly strike whatever it's called in english and fucking cut that dude's arm off and then everybody else around him gets freaked out and starts backing away and it's just like through gameplay i have just done the opening of like every other zatoichi fight ever right it's yes. just like uh it's so good like like its ability to allow me through play to experience the specific fantasy it wants
0: it's so finely tuned I agree. I love all the combat. I like. I love ninety eight percent of the combat in the game. The two percent, I I love everything where it's groups of enemies you're fighting. The one on one boss duels I don't like, and we can talk about that later. Sure, but that's not most of the game. Most of the game, yeah. The there's combat, only a handful of those. The combat is built for big enemy encounters, right, where you've got lots of people, and it's, yeah,
1: which is also what Chanbara movies usually do like like we have this impression of the big duel but that's
0: really rare in those movies yes it's like that's kind of the kurosawa thing they're pulling on because of like sanjiro basically but it's as yeah exactly but
1: like you know jojimbo's big action
0: scene is him fighting like 15 dudes exactly yeah 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 Yeah. 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 and it it does that i agree does that so well i think the game is i'm playing it on heart i think it's very easy most of the time yeah it's
1: that's one of the reasons why i'm like limiting some of the things i do because if i like it's kind of like with Spider-Man's combat. If you go full bore and you use every single tool available to you, and like all the special like everything, and you play the game like optimally, it is like absurdly easy.
0: Like it just yeah. would offer no challenge even on hard. Um, so I, I think they could tweak that a little bit. There's some things I think they could have limited, or like some moves I just think are unnecessary or or whatever. But I agree with this this idea of it, how it allows you to express yourself. I agree. Probably only if it's second only to anything, Red Dead Two. Yeah, um, which is so a, good a
1: game th- which has you pull the fucking trigger a second time to talk your load. shotgun. Yes. Right, like like the game that like, th- and, and that's like what I love about these kinds of open world games, and I think it's the thing that like Ubisoft just never quite gets because they're so cookie cutter. Is the like the specificity of I want like the samurai fantasy. Um, Or I want the cowboy fantasy or like I want the grindhouse revenge fantasy which Mafia 3 does or the Hong Kong action movie fantasy of sleeping dogs. Like I want to live out those fantasies and the Ubisoft model even with the really good games with like something like Assassin's Creed Origins and then Odyssey and then Valhalla those are like. Well, it's like now it's the Viking fantasy because they have you can dual wield axes. And yeah. there's like a raid mode, right? Uh, I'll it's, be... it's temp. It's like a template that's really broad that they tweak a couple of the settings for the new thing that they. Yeah, do. I mean,
0: I'll be. I'll be more mean here. They have fucking terrible combat that is just <laughs> sure, bad yeah. to play and and odyssey has one move in the whole fucking game that what i played of it that really feels like and it's only because it's out of 300 is the spartan, <sighs> spartan kick. kick yeah but the spartan kick is so much fun that several times in ghost of tsushima i've tried to do it and realize that's not in this game because it is fun to be on a cliff and kick someone off it you can't kick but, people off clips with the typhoon kick okay kick well run. yes but yeah. but yeah it's a little different it's not, you don't just press one button yeah and do yeah it. you're not it's not like a fucking jujitsu move already. no yeah. um but yeah and and then that's that's why assassin's creed 4 is still the best assassin's creed is the ship combat is so expressive and yeah
1: and allows you to live your fantasy of being a pirate and and that game is like the least assassin's creed of all the assassin's creed games because they basically just made a pirate game and the dude happens to find like a random hidden blade in hood on some dude who died on an island because your main character isn't even an assassin in that game
0: yes it's great but, like, I, I totally agree with that That Ghost of Tsushima. I, I like the comparison to, like, Sleeping Dogs and, and Red Dead Redemption because it very much has that same kind of feel. And it is. It's just fun. It's just very fun. Even when it's easy getting into those big fights and figuring out how you're going to do all this. And, like, I don't do a ton of the stealth in it, in part because I am, like, I want to be the samurai and it's, mm-hmm. it's, I feel bad when I just stab someone in the back. But it is also kind of fun to just, when you have your fully upgraded Tonto, to, yeah, like, just... just
1: <laughs> yeah, like, that is one thing I... Do really enjoy about the stealth of the the like... I feel like I've seen versions of this. Like you upgrade something and your stealth kill gets better. But there's something so satisfying about the really clumsy... You're like just like desperately trying to slit this dude's throat because you've never done it before when you haven't upgraded it. And then the fully upgraded one is just this... You like blink and you miss it, you just stab that dude in
0: the throat and move on with your life. It's like fuck. It is a big relief after playing Last of Us Two and every stealth kill is a five minute animation of yeah. Ellie brutally strangling someone to death, um, or stabbing them in the neck a bunch. Yeah, it's... if if
1: Jean if Sakai Jean was in the world of Last of Us, then, like those games would be over in <laughs> two, two
0: seconds seconds. would just go and murder everybody in front of him with a sword. Exactly. Uh and it's great. It's and I, and I do think maybe there's too many tools, but a lot of the tools are so fun to use. I don't know if it really needed two bows but I do enjoy using the bows a lot and having the longbow and like being halfway, I feel like across the fucking map and seeing someone on a tower and being like, well, if I get rid of him, he can't see me while I'm going around. So, boop. And and, and the longbow is just nice because it's just the
1: sound effect of the... And it's just like the bow creaking as this like three second pullback animation plays and then you hit him and it's like the dude got kicked by a fucking mule and he just
0: flies like five feet off the tower it's great and it's got that kind of fun like chemistry set vibe of so many silly things can happen and like you fucking up can also be very entertaining because of crazy shit that'll because this is the kind of game also where i think it's pretty easy but if you significantly fuck up enemies can just cut you in half yeah and then you reload really fast which we have to talk about that is the craziest technical trick of this game is its load times yeah but like you laugh because it was funny and then you go back in and try something new and it's just it's very entertaining in that way it's like yeah. like when i throw a like the other day i threw a smoke bomb went to stab someone missed or something and then he turned around and cut me down and by the time the smoke cleared i'm dead and it's like I, <laughs> and then I, all the mongols are sitting around like kicking your body yeah. yeah and i just love the image of that like what if that happened in a fucking Chanbura movie where the main samurai is like super confident he throws the smoke bomb and when it clears he already is dead on the ground be great.
1: Yeah it's, yeah, it's like in a Zatoichi where every other Zatoichi movie has a scene where he's in a room that's like lit by candles and then he swings a sword and all the candles go out and because he's blind, it's like, now I can kill everybody. But yeah, it would be like that and then someone lights a candle and Zatoichi's just dead on the ground with like 50 swords stabbed in him and he's just like, I don't care if the lights
0: went out, dude. Like there's like 30 dudes in this room that you're trying to fight it's at some point someone's gonna get you it's great and and it's really fun to try those things i just got the move where you can leap off your horse and stab oh, someone that one's so fun yeah <laughs> oh i love the air assassination where you just take your full katana and i think just stab through their throat all the way to their fucking groin yeah
1: it looks like you basically replaced their spine with your sword uh (laughs) it's very good yeah it is just and i think it's the where like particularly when i got to act two and like had all the stuff and then had all the like extra enemy types so there's just like so much variety to the composition of different encounters based on what kinds of enemies are in there and then like what rank basically the enemies are so like ...their attack patterns can be very different... ...and it just like... ...it gave me this mindset... ...that's kind of a little bit like my mindset playing a Yakuza game... ...where it's like... ...I agree that maybe it does have a few too many tools... ...but the advantage of that is that it's just like... ...it feels like I'm given this like... ...combat playground... ...that the game is it's, it's not a Sekiro... ...it's not about me like overcoming this challenge... ...and using every tool available to me... ...to like eke out some sort of like meager victory... Uh, ...it is about me giving me all these tools... And having enough of the pressure on the combat, the fact that you can die really quickly on hard, um, and like parrying and stuff takes skill, is a pressure to like keep you on your shit in the combat, but you have enough leeway that like you can just play how you want, and you can you can you know be someone who parries everything or and like dodges around and is very defensive. You can be someone who's way more aggressive with your sword play, or you can be someone who mixes all your tools and your bow and goes stealth and you can, and everything in between. So there's this whole. Broad spectrum of combat available to you that allows you to play out combat scenarios in so many different ways that it is to me less about the pressure of the combat and more about the how do I want to like murder these five dudes and, and every time I do it I do it slightly differently.
0: And it is the most important thing a game can have, which is it a it is a renewable resource of fun. Yes. The more, like, the more you do it, you know, I, I get a little fatigued if I play for too long. But I go back to it and then I see, like, I ride by a Mongol territory camp and I'm like, ooh, how am I going to fuck these guys up? Yeah. And, like, God, compare that with fucking, like, when I'm running around in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Yeah. And there's so much I like about that game. And I do think it's it's probably the best ground combat Assassin's Creed has ever had. But, but it that's is, not saying But lot. that's not saying yeah, much. And changed. it is... And I think a lot of people would agree, it's like the toll you pay to get to the good stuff, but it is not in and of itself the fun part of Assassin's Creed. Whereas with Ghost of Tsushima, it, it keeps you from getting too fatigued too fast because it is renewable. It's like, as long as they're, you know, it's not the exact same enemy types for 60 hours, and they mix it up, which they do, and they give you good new stuff, which they do, It, it, it you find new ways to make it fun for yourself, you know? Yeah. like I. I don't play a lot of stealth in the game but sometimes I'm like you know what I should try this stealthy and see what... and it's very fun yeah and and although something uh, Thomas pointed out my, my brother and I think this was a good point is that I said to him I'm like man I, I did a full camp stealthy for the first time and it was really easy and he's like I think that's kind of a weird point of the game is that it is easy to just go in and stab everyone in the back and that's why Gene is uncomfortable with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's and it is something where, like, I do think, particularly early on when the game is hard, because if you start out on hard, it is hard um, when you don't have, like, your health bar is, like, tiny. You don't have a lot of the moves. um, And there is this, like, really fun, like, I my first five something hours of the game was me like wanting to be I'm just gonna march into this camp I'm gonna draw my sword and I'm just gonna murder all these dudes because I'm cool samurai man and I try that and I just get fucking slaughtered um but then you reload like instantly and it makes like failure in this game doesn't feel like failure because you're just back into it immediately it's the main thing I think that makes the boss fights like not a slog is that like you just re- you die you t- retry it immediately there's still a slog um, sure. we'll get to that yeah. But like but for me, like so like that's if I die, it doesn't feel like a big deal. But it's just was like I have multiple encounters where it's like I just think I cannot do this with the knowledge of combat I have and the tools available to me just by going in and killing people with my sword, I have to sneak. Um and then eventually when you level up you get good enough that you can you can do the sword stuff. But there's always, yeah, there's always this thing of like stealth is so much easier in the game. And it is and it does feel like a legitimate like you know, coincidence of of narrative theming and gameplay of if you just like want to get shit done and be as efficient and safe as possible, it is a lot easier to sneak in, shoot people with a bow, stab them in the neck, like stab them while they're fucking sleeping in their fucking mat. But, like that is so much easier, and the stealth is really forgiving in this game. Um, in a way that I like like since it's not it's not a hardcore stealth game, it's not Last of Us or something. Um, that yeah, like it, it feels like this. I would love to kill all these guys honorably, but you know what? I just need to slit some fucking throats right now and just get this shit done. Um, and and there's something about that that, I particularly early on, I thought like the game landed like a sort of basic thematic argument and needed to make very quickly for me.
0: Absolutely, and it and it it keeps renewing that yes. argument. I think the more you get into it, and it's it's a really compelling part of it because um, it has you know I, I think most stealth games try to go for this interesting relationship of stealth with the main combat and you're going to need to get good at both but you're going to want to prefer one because things could get out of hand easily and you know i think like a last of us 2 is on the probably absolute best spectrum of that in that it's really compelling in both ways and you have a really good incentive to go for both over the course of your play in different places yeah you know i think um you know like like the very metal gear is variously good at this in different places you know Mm -hmm. metal gear generally gets the stealth down later on in the series but Sometimes they don't get the other part of it, you know. But this game has a very different relationship, which is it's kind of one or the other. Yeah. And it's kind of telling you, you don't have the same experiences in Last of Us as much where you're going really carefully, like, oh, you know, breathing really heavily, going through the stealth, and then it goes crazy, and you're just trying to survive. It's kind of like, well, if they discover me, then I'm just going to really fuck their shit up. Yeah. It's, It's kind of like, I just don't want to be bothered with it. It's... I like how it evolves over the course of the game and it feels like a different relationship between stealth and main combat than I've seen in a game before and I appreciate about that, that about it a lot.
1: Yeah, and and I think they do like where I'm at with the story in Act 2. They start to sort of like evolve the concept of the ghost or the Kurodo as they call him in Japanese. Japanese um, which is like it starts to move away from like these like, you know, stealthy and that's what like makes him dangerous or whatever too like I'm, you're just like slaughtering fucking dudes in the street and like have you gotten the slaughter move um yet and like the ghost stance no okay so there's a there's a story thing in act two uh, because the main story stuff is still wide open that like that's why you could have the fucking yeah. poison darts and i have this ghost stance thing But it's, like yeah you get to a point where it's like you're just like i just fucking murdering people and like it's like your skill as a warrior and you're like the brutality at which, and like efficiency at which you can dispatch people, is what makes you this frightening thing. Not just that, like you're really good at sneaking up on people, um, and like that turn they start to make in Act Two makes me really interested to see how they treat that in Act Three and where the story's going to go with that. Oh,
0: I agree absolutely, and and uh, but here's a question, yeah, because this has been part of the larger critical conversation, and I'm curious your thoughts on it the game at least to my knowledge so far and from what i've heard does not it's it's not a choice or like morality game where like it responds it's not infamous where there's like the good ending bad anything and it's not it's not like if you were never stealthy then you rescue lord shimura and he's like good job being honorable it's it doesn't matter how much stealth you did or didn't do he will be like i'm uncomfortable with this um what do you think about that
1: um, like I think that's better than having the like cause the thing with the infamous games is it just always ended up being the good ending was the actual ending and the bad ending is like it's just like this ridiculous parallel like universe of like what if your main character was just a complete dick bag and just murdered people indiscriminately and every character just hated you and hated your fucking guts and then you murdered them behind their back. Like it just was always the most ridiculous thing um and i think that's how those like the good evil morality things always kind of tend to be like mass effect was on the fucking subtle end of that spectrum and that you know that was the one where you like punched out the reporter if you're the bad guy right um and ultimately had very little impact on the yeah so it's like i i think that the better version of that if you wanted to go for that is something like the witcher 3 where it is morally complex choices that there is no right or wrong answer it is like a degree of like what is it that you're prioritizing as a character and the choices that you make. And I think that like that would way overcomplicate Ghost of Tsushima. Um, And I think that they do a good enough job in, like I said, especially on hard,
2: motivating
1: you to, at least in the early game, really invest in the idea that's like, I need to take some of this stuff stealthy. And then there are missions that are just stealth missions. Like there are missions you have to do and sometimes there are hostages
0: and it's yeah. more important to save their lives than, than keep your honor on yeah it. and so i think the, the game
1: i think there you could end up playing a game the game in such a way that that would feel really dissonant but at least the way that i have played so far in my experience with it i feel like the way the story is treating it is in lockstep with the way i've been playing the game and like yeah. the fact that that gene is on this boundary between like him obeying and wanting to obey at the very least these sort of like codes that he was taught by his uncle as a child but then also his sort of like more practical need to we are being invaded by an enemy force and we need to protect our people and protect our land and like get them the fuck out of here and it is way more important to actually do what it takes to protect those people and fight the mongols than it is to you know do this sort of weird face-saving um like very phony i need to preserve my honor thing that is like the luxury of the samurai ruling class that they have that and they've been able to have that because they haven't had a real enemy to
0: fight yes i I agree with this completely and i just wanted to pose the question kind of play the straw man for a second because it's an interesting it's an interesting argument and i think there's little things that could be interesting with it but i generally agree i don't know what it would add and i think it would subtract a lot and i think it's kind of like when people complain about like there are lots of problems I had with The Last of Us Part Two story. I do not agree with the criticisms of, like, it should allow for more choice. It's like, if you've got a story to tell, tell the story. Some games can integrate choice and different paths in really compelling ways... I don't know if this is the format where that can be done yeah and so i generally agree with it the one thing i do want is a split ending where if you played very honorably you get to retire and go live in a castle and if you didn't you choose to commit seppuku and you get to play the seppuku mini mini game yeah i feel
1: i feel i feel if you play totally honorably you should just like that should be the bad ending right yeah because i do think that's like (laughs) the game is you know it's not seven samurai or harakiri like it doesn't have like this incredibly deep social commentary about the samurai because of course it isn't it's not a post-war japan game yeah. or you know made by japanese people about like the oppression of the imperial japanese and like that fitted onto Edo and the at crazy samurai. war they got into yeah like like, yeah. So, like there are lots of reasons why you know those movies are all anti-samurai because you should like you know the samurai were fucking awful um, but like obviously this game is not as hardcore in that way But it does particularly in Act 2 I, I, I'm enjoying that it is clear that the game is like heading in the right direction Has its heart in the right place of being like The samurai fucking suck Like your uncle is a cool dude He's voiced by Akio Otsuka But also he's a rich fucker who like rules over the, Who's been instated as like the ruler of this whole island Who cares more about the idea of the people than actually helping the people um, and I like that dynamic I like that the game Particularly where I'm at now Is really playing with this Gene is someone who is like Sees now as a character That the, the code that he grew up with is, Isn't worthwhile And that like it's way more important Like the people in front of him Like Yuna um, To help them And be with them And actually help the people And they set that up I think really smartly At the beginning of the game With that flashback with the uncle where the uncle basically asks Gene what to him like Bushido basically means and what like the way of the samurai, what that is. And Gene gives this very stock answer about protecting the family honor and blah, 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 and like doing all this stuff. Um, And the uncle says, well, that's what your father says. Like he basically recited like the motto of the Sakai clan. What do you think? And Gene's answer is, I think that we have to protect the people that we are put here to protect. And he like earnestly believes in the... The message of what the samurai is supposed to be, which is the message of like what you know, if you translate to like congressman, it's like what a politician is supposed to be in our society is someone who's put there to help the people that put them where they are, and they're invested with this power so that they can protect the people that don't have power. And then in reality, that is not how in any society I know of that has ever actually worked out, right? Yeah. But Gene is this like very innocent, earnest, naive person who really believes that, and I've been enjoying seeing. When you rescue the uncle after Jean has not met him for like, you know, that whole first act of the game and you see him from this very different light of like, oh, right. Like he spouts all this stuff, but has the uncle ever done anything that actually backs that up versus you are like in there helping people day to day. You're in there with people like Yuna who aren't rich and aren't noble and you're actually helping them. And that stuff is the story
0: I've been really enjoying. It's something I really appreciate about a lot of the combat in the game. Even kind of the random encounters on the overworld. It very much feels like it has that JRPG vibe of you're on the overworld and you get a random encounter. Um, Is that frequently there's like a peasant there. Who at the end you save and they thank you and you bow and they leave. And like there's that little reward of humanity of like why is is he just cutting down Mongols for fun? No. It's because they've got a peasant kidnapped might sell it into slavery or something and he's like it's my person i gotta save them and then say go to the golden temple or go back to ariake or wherever and be like you'll be safe and like yeah and you're like you're like building up these refugee camps in these like major cities yeah i think that's really smart and it's something i think some games like this are missing and 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 just a level of humanity that like I, i i think this is a very different game than The Last of Us 2, but that I, I wish that had a little more of sometimes. Um, and it's just, it's it's it always reminds you of why Gene's doing this. It's not just to be violent for the sake of being violent. It's because, hey, they've got like five hostages and I'm supposed to protect the people and let's go do that, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm definitely cutting them down very brutally and it's fun. But also, you know, there's a purpose to this. Yes,
1: yeah. And yeah, and it is reminding you that, like, the core of the character is he's doing this for, like, this community <laughs> and
0: everything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I love being able to build up those camps. And, like, when you save a farmstead, life comes back to the farm. And then people live there. And then you have a place you can go barter and trade and stuff. Very smart systems in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What uh, different, like, um, side characters have you liked the most? I like all of them
1: a lot. Like, I think, like, Yuna is, I think, the best character in the story. Like, she's obviously the one who's, like, paired with Gene. I just did... Um, like literally like before you came over. Uh, because you were a little bit later, later than usual. Like, I think I can maybe finish this one extra minute of mission. I finished the like Side Yuna side quest chain that's in Act Two. Have you done that?
0: No, I haven't, haven't know, even started it. It's very good. Like it just
1: fills in her backstory because she's from this yeah. like yadakawa area of the map. Um and yeah, so she's really cool. Um and and I like one thing I like about all the characters is like the other major characters are obviously like Dono and Ichikawa Sensei, like the people you assemble in that first act. Um, And I like the, like, feel of, right, all the major warriors in this region were killed in the opening battle of the game. So all the people you encounter are people who are old or young or they're women or children. They're the people who are not a part of the battle because they are not part of the samurai class, which would only be, like, able-bodied men, basically, who would have gone to that fight. And so it's, it's Masakodono who is, you know, the matroness of this um like storied samurai clan that has been cut down and she's out for revenge or it's Ishikawa sensei who's like a retired samurai who's an expert with the bow and who you know has taught a bunch of people how to use archery and stuff and then it's people that are like yuna who are just normal people who live in this area um and i like that mix of characters and i think i'm i haven't gotten super deep into the Ishikawa sensei or Moscow stuff in act two yet i've only kind of done the first one first one or two of their missions there but i'm find both of their stories compelling like i find i'm really interested to find out more about tomoe and meeting her because I, I just like the mystery of like this weird woman you're chasing after who's like training the mongols and then also masako's you know desire for revenge for her family particularly there's that one great mission where you visit her on the komodo beach and you help her find her, her sons. sons that's one of the like, best in the yeah, whole. yeah that like helped me like really get even more invested in her story um yeah, so I, I just I yeah. think the game in general does a good job of giving you these like characters that they're not like you know it's not like they're the most interesting characters in the world they're not like I wouldn't put them on the level of like Naughty Dog in terms of character work but it's so far above where these kinds of games usually hit because usually like this kind of stuff is so basic in something that's like an open world action game
0: yeah name a character in assassin's creed who is not the playable protagonist or a historical figure yeah
1: exactly that it's like like assassin's creed origins i love bayek to death he's an awesome protagonist but the people you meet along the way in that game are fine but they're like functional characters to tell like this little story about that area whereas ghost of tsushima like they've been sticking with this cast in a way that is really compelling and then that moment at the end of act one of bringing everybody together and assaulting that big camp and just feeling like i've Brought these people together. I've helped them with their problems. It almost has like a Mass Effect 2 feel. Like the suicide yeah. mission. Of, of I've like really got to know these people. So when I see them again, I'm really happy.
0: Absolutely. And I agree with all of that. I think the... I like the Moscow missions. I think those... That's a quest chain that I feel is a little... I can feel it being elongated where there's a little repetition in there. Yeah, it's
1: a little bit meandering of you just going, yeah. like, here's another person you have to kill on the revenge mission. I think there's, like, probably one or two. It's just because I feel like I have two more of those on the map, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm... If, maybe they're slightly different, but, like, so far, all of React 2 stuff has just been, here's another person I killed that person because they were involved.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I really like the Ichikawa Sensei ones, mainly because he's voiced by Shigeru Chiba. Yes. And Shigeru Chiba is one of my... All time favorite voice actors. I could read, hear that dude reading the phone book and would be entertained. Yeah. Uh, and he's great in this. It is the series. I always go, I think Shigeru Chiba is on a weird spectrum for me between emperor pilaf and raditz yes and it is his high-pitched funny voice that's also like buggy the clown and stuff like that and then there's raditz which is his low menacing like um shit eating grin villain voice and ishikawa sensei is like raditz but noble yeah and uh he has that kind of but is he actually noble because he's also like kind of
1: an asshole samurai like all the samurai are assholes yeah always true Um, and i
0: think the combat design in his missions is really fun i think there's one near the end of act one with him where you like you know set up with with all your bows, they just come flooding down, and you have tons of arrows, and you have you get your, the fire arrows for the first time, mm. and it's very fun because uh, I do like the archery in this game quite a bit. So, yeah, I mean, it, it helps that the voice cast is so fucking good. I mean, yeah, I was very happy when I heard Yuna's brother and I'm like, that's Kape Yamaguchi, uh-huh. who I can't believe they got for a part this relatively small, but they really stacked this cast.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it is like, and that's where, you know, if people are not playing, this the Japanese. You're insane. Like, the number of people I've seen say like, oh, like, I'm playing in English because the lip sync isn't to the Japanese. I'm like, what? Like, I mean, it's not, but...
0: Why is that such a big deal? Like, I'm very confused by... And and frankly, because of how they like to position the camera, so little of even the cutscenes is on their lips. And like, yeah, you will... And also, they're like... These are professional voice
1: actors that, you know... The bulk of what basically every Japanese voice actor does is dubbing English language movies into Japanese because... And maybe this is part of that thing of like... You know, if you're English-speaking you almost never watch anything that is dubbed. Like it just never happens. You don't watch anything that is like, or if it's dubbed, it's a cartoon, right? It's an anime, but you're not watching something live action that has like accurate lip movements that is dubbed over. Whereas like if you're Japanese and you play Last of Us 2 and you want to play the game with the Japanese voice cast, which is very good in the Japanese version of Last of Us 2, they are dubbing over those lip flaps and it's not going to be perfect. But I also feel like they are really good at what they do and most of the time it matches pretty well.
0: Yeah, and also, like, who fucking cares? Like, here's this is something I think a lot of anime fans in America don't understand, especially if they listen to dubs. Lip flaps don't match in anime either. Yeah, yeah, they're not particularly accurate. Japanese anime lip flaps are all over the fucking place because they don't really care. And then there's this very weird thing where English dubs of Japanese shows try to match those lip flaps, like, religiously. And that's why a lot of white dubs sound so awkward why who gives a shit they're cartoons i don't care
1: yeah i mean usually in anime like the lip flaps are basically done before voices are recorded yes always which is the reverse in english like in english it's standard that you record the voices and then you animate to the voices in japanese it is more or less standard
0: that it is the reverse yeah like there's uh isa takahata's last film uh, tale of princess kaguya did the reverse and it had them he recorded the voice actors and then animated it and it was and, and like it pissed off the whole staff because it's so much more work. Yeah. But you also watch it, and if you've watched a lot of Japanese anime, it's shocking because you realize, oh, there's not that thing where they open their mouths and then a half second later the voice comes out, which is every anime I've ever watched. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you just get used to it. So yeah, I agree. It's I think it's you know they yeah who cares. And, yeah. It and, would have
1: been nice for like the lip sync to have been redone, but also for any of the major cutscenes. Those are all performance captured right so yeah. it's like you would have had to reanimate the dude's entire head basically to reanimate yes. the list yeah um, so it's like i'm not going to ask developers like it, if this is like a kind of like a crunch thing it's like it's that's such a minor thing it is ridiculous they were never going to make it for japanese language first that's a ridiculous expectation i'm so relieved that japanese language is even an option in the first place yeah. which was not a thing i assumed when the game was first announced um so yeah like to me it's like that's such a non-starter You are missing out on really great performances
0: particularly from the core cast Um, you have a truly world-class voice cast over here and in english i'm sure they're all fine they are um, they're not to the level of kazuya nakai and shigeru chiba and akio otsuka it's like fucking community shakespeare versus royal shakespeare company who do you want to watch
1: and and beyond that it is especially if you understand some japanese like This is, like, a weird, like, instance of this... Where, like, localization for this game into Japanese... Is such a different thing for any other game... Um, but, like... The Japanese localization is phenomenal... And the Japanese script is so much better than the English script... It's, like... Because, because of course it is... Because in the English script... They throw out the word honor, like, every two seconds... Um, and, you know... Because if you play with the Japanese language... You're still getting the English subtitles... And so they're just saying honor, 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 honor... But in the Japanese... Version they're saying like five or six different words each time. So it's not like this is a sentence where he's just saying honor at the beginning and the middle and the end. Those are three different words that are more specific versions of this vague concept of honor because they're referring to Japanese samurai concepts. So like they're translating them into Japanese. Is this weird information or this weird instance where typically when you're localizing something, inherent information in the language is extracted out because from the translation process whereas here because they're translating it into a language that is more suited for the setting they're adding in more specificity. Um, so it is a just it's just a more interesting
0: story I think if you can understand some of what the japanese is saying versus the english. And also just I have to say the quickest way for me to know someone is not playing this in japanese is if they say the characters are bland. Yeah. Maybe I haven't heard it in english but I don't know how you can call a character voiced by Kazuya Nakai yelling you know, like, "Sakata Koe," yes. you know, like like doing Katu-han! that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah very like, good. like like that's not bland. Shigeru Chiba is not bland. Akio Otsuka is not bland. I just don't think it's possible for them to be bland.
1: Yeah, and like the character archetypes they're playing off of, like because because Jean is a fairly stoic character because of course he is, but like yeah. because it is playing off of this stoic samurai archetype, like kazuya Nakai is able to particularly. Like I'm so impressed with a lot of his stuff in Act Two. Like he's able to infuse that with the right amount of humanity, yeah. Um, in a way that is you know, of like Jimbo or something like that. Like it's yeah. it's like Toshi Mifune's more stoic characters in those movies. It has that kind of feel to it. Or like I mean, it really is like a um, Tatsuya Nakadai kind of character. Um, that's it's really, I think it is so well done. Um, Tatsuya
0: Nakadai is a really good, yeah. Because I think, when I first saw the trailer for this game, or saw some of this stuff, I thought, well, if they could have gotten a voice actor, they would have resurrected Toshiro Mifune and done yeah. that. I think they would resurrect, I don't know if he's actually dead, but they would get Tatsuya Nakadai. I think he passed away not that long ago. I think ago. he, yeah. But, like, if you don't know, Tatsuya Nakadai, he's in even more things, I think, than fucking um, Toshiro Mifune, because yeah, he yeah. was in so much. But um, one big landmark performance would be Harakiri. Yes. Um, and I think he's very much playing that kind he's of He's still alive. Oh he my is. god. Yeah. Yeah. He's 87. 87. Yeah. Well good yeah. Okay, so they could have gotten him, but probably not. He doesn't sound he doesn't sound young anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. pretty sure he's retired. Yes, yeah, so I, yeah, I think he's retired. But but you know, he's uh, watch Tatsu Nakai. he's one of the greatest actors who ever lived. And I think he's very much in that mold, and you can hear Katsu Nak- Nakai channeling that a lot. Um, and I'll just say for me, overcoming for me the Zoro Association uh-huh. of like I hear him now and like I know it's the voice actor who plays Zoro, but he's very much, like, separated the two characters, even though there are quite a few similarities. Zoro is a sillier character, because One Piece is a sillier story, but they are both, you know, big stoic swordsmen who do incredible feats of strength. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I knew he was going to be great as soon as he was cast. He's always great, but it's one of those... It's just a joy to hear him really build that character out. Yeah.
1: Like, I would love to read, like, an in-depth feature about how the game was localized into Japanese. Because I do think... Because a lot of stories have been passed around about how, like, it got really good reviews in Japan, it sold better than, like, basically an EPS4 exclusive in Japan. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that is... The, like, localization is so good. And But it's such a weird thing to think about. like Like, the concept of this, where the English script has things that sound like slightly awkward translations of Japanese things so like the the like first secret move you learn which in English is called the heavenly strike which feels like we like came up with this is sort of like sounds like it was translated from some Japanese thing um and then in Japanese they call it hiren isen which is me basically means like you know, sword... Like, isen is, like, one draw of the sword, and then Hiden is, like, as fast as lightning, more or less. Um, And so it is like this... You draw your sword so fast, and you, you kill the dude in one hit, Um, is basically what the name conveys. And nothing about it says... It's not Heavenly Strike. Like, that's... If you took Hiden isen you would never translate it as Heavenly Strike into English, but it sounds so much better in Japanese, and, like, that name is so much more interesting to me. And it, it feels like a game that is the reverse of what it is. Like it sometimes it legitimately just feels like this was a game developed in Japan to me because the localization is so well done. Yeah. You know, like it's all the, the vocabulary in the game is fascinating because it is like archaic Japanese language concepts that are used. They use Japanese pronunciation for words where normally it normally would be Chinese pronunciation of kanji compounds. Like the game is full of that kind of stuff that it has this like to the bones authenticity to its presentation in that way um and and they like just again they like just go out of the way they just like change shit some shit that like would be fine if you didn't change for example the haiku in japanese are not haiku they're waka which is a longer form of poem it's a five-line poem um which is a like more fundamental like older form of japanese poetry and it's also like just way cooler um and i just like because and you can hear that if you're playing in japanese because it's seven or it's five seven five seven seven. Um, and it's just got a more kind of like full rhythm to it and and that's just like and it's a really interesting change to me and it speaks to how thoroughly the Japanese localization went in modifying things and really like kind of bringing it more to its roots than the more Americanized version you're getting from the English language script
0: yeah oh I agree with all of that uh, but also i've been a little distracted sean because tatsuya nakadai is emphatically not retired what he was in a tv movie this year called the return on the jidai geki senmon channel which i didn't okay. know that was a channel yeah, so that's, that's cool. jidai geki
1: that would be like it specializes in like yeah. period um yes. like samurai stuff
0: and there is an unreleased 2020 movie probably not released because of coronavirus called tog the last samurai that he is in. I don't know what size of role, although on the page, it's a Shochiku movie. I'm looking at the Shochiku website, Sean, and he is one of three actors listed. And it says, a beautiful samurai film from Takashi Koizumi, assistant to Akira Kurosawa on After the Rain, about a samurai who leads his country to fight against the new regime with honor and dignity. Sounds familiar. The film may provide some answers to the question, what is a samurai? What can we learn from them in the modern era today? In order to present the texture of the period, the film was mostly shot in 35mm. So yes, he is still alive and kicking, and people in Japan know why you get Tatsuya Nakadai. Because that sounds like the exact movie you would get him for. Um, They should have hired him for this game. Yeah, he was in the most recent Satoshi movie. Yes, which is not not a, really a Satoshi movie, I know, yeah. but yeah. yeah. Um, so he's yeah he's he's still kicking. Fuck yeah, I I have I'm sorry, Tatsunaka. I, I have underestimated you. Did you know his first film performance is as a wandering samurai in Seven yeah. Samurai, but he's uncredited? Yep, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, well there you go. This is utterly irrelevant to what we're talking about. But except for cool. like if people if people know
1: Toshi but they don't know Tatsu Nakadai, you have you have under you're underwatched. Yes. Or you just didn't
0: realize because he's also the main villain in Yojimbo and Sanjuro, and and he's in he's much more of a chameleon than Toshirō Mifune. Yes, yeah. He's he can be. I love Toshirō Mifune. He's not a subtle, he's not a subtle sure, guy. He's a, yeah. he's a big presence, and uh, Tatsu Nakadai is great. Watch uh, High and Low, where they are two sides of <laughs> yeah. the same coin in that movie. They're they're so good. Mwah. Anyway, um, yeah, I think I think we've we've summed it up for now. You know, uh, oh, one thing I want to talk about with Ghost of Tsushima, okay. I'm not a big fan of the the boss fights and the and the one all oh, right gonna do yes yeah. I it's it's not that I think they're terrible or anything it's a problem where it feels like it wants to be Sekiro much more in those moments and that's just not what this combat system is for and when you strip away everything but the main sword play I find it it's a lot of weird difficulty spikes I I find that there's a bunch of stuff that I just don't know how it works in the game because you never fight like this like i was very confused about what was and wasn't blockable with parries and like what you should dodge so that's
1: something that like you need the color on yeah the color on is much easier like it still is different because it's an x in um when it's unblockable and then it becomes a line when it's something that you can parry when you upgrade yeah but i just
0: like i don't think like the the character animation it doesn't read as clearly and smoothly to me as like a sekiro where i really feel like i know what they're gonna do um i i had to unlearn some sekiro things because you need to be a lot more aggressive in ghost of tsushima in terms of going after them and not like using their moves against them you can do that somewhat but it's not it won't get you all the way so i don't know they just they kind of feel like those moments kind of pump the brakes on the game for me and and it feels like the kind of boss fight where it's not what the game is mostly doing and so it feels like it's an out of place non sequitur to me
1: yeah i don't think i think i broadly agree but it hasn't Affected me that much I, I, It's like the game Doesn't excel at it um, It is mostly like a It's like a fun Presentational kind of It doesn't thing. make me Hate the game or anything yeah. But And I think the thing That makes it like It's not a big deal to me Is that if you die You just come back immediately So sure. so it's definitely The kind of thing where like I feel like I die once or twice And then I kind of Get the sense Okay this is what They're going yeah. for um, And it's It is like I would love a For this game and Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order to combine their one-on-one boss fights. Because I think Jedi Fallen Order has generally better designed boss fights and the controls work better for it in that game. But the load time is super long. So if you die, it's a huge pain in the ass. And they're not... Like, those are not Sekito level. Like, they're not, you know... I mean, Sekito has the best boss fights maybe in any video game. So it's like... That's a huge standard to go to. Um, So yeah, it's like... it, It is a thing where it's like... They're not like the best boss fights in the world. But they're also they're they're like they feel really hard and then i feel like i overcome them really quickly where it's like i i die a couple of times and and i think i've done enough of them at this point because i've i've gotten the um i like really like mainline because i just wanted to get the uh the kensei armor you do like five or six of those fights um as you wander around and so i just kind of did a bunch of those really fast and i got into the rhythm of kind of figuring it out um but yeah like they're not great but they're not terrible. I kind of few about them. Yeah,
0: and I wouldn't say they're terrible either. They the, the one of them. There's a one you can do pretty early, and I think it's when it's the fight when you're getting the um, the, the heavenly strike. Is it that one? Yes, it's the heavenly yeah. strike one. I think because it's it's one of the first song missions you can do. Yeah, and. And I just... It's like... It's the hardest thing in the whole game so far. And it was such a out-of-left-field difficulty spike... That that was the most down I've been on the game the whole time. Yeah, that's... Like,
1: especially, I think, depending on what upgrades you have... When you have that it is like harder because if you don't have the ability to parry his like thrust or whatever it is yeah um, because if you don't upgrade that i think that like
0: it's the tengu demon is what they call him yeah yeah
1: because because I, I was in the same boat and then i did that that first boss fight i did i didn't have that upgraded and then the next one i had that upgrade i'm like oh this is like you just shouldn't be able to do these if you yes. aren't able to parry one of those attacks because it
0: is so much harder i agree and and yeah so I don't hate them presentationally I think they're cool I, I love the arenas they put for them I do think the standoff animation is too long on all of them especially because Gene does the exact same thing in every single one yeah I wish there. they were a little bit more custom yeah because yeah. every time he does the thing where he holds on his hilt and then he uses the, the thumb to flick out the blade and it's cool it look it's always cool yeah I love it but I have seen it like 10 times by now um, and I wish you could just like skip those scenes and just get into the fight but no, it's look. It's not a huge problem. They're not a huge part of the game. If you hate them, you could always just. There's no difficulty achievements, so you could just tap it down and then go back up if it, you really hate it. Um, I haven't done that, but but you could. Um, but yeah, it's it's fine. It's just something that I I noted. Um, and I and here's the thing: if Sekiro did not exist, I don't know if I would even notice it yeah. because it's like, and it sucks because these games have so little actually in common uh-huh. <laughs> except that they both are fetishistic about their setting. And they're both so great at it But from such Completely different angles Yeah But they're both like Perry system based You know chanbara fights you, you get into that Kind of Inevitable comparison
1: Yeah I feel like Between Ghost of Tsushima And Sekiro It's like basically We have the two perfect yeah. Samurai games, just like, but they're perfect in like the different aspects that yeah. you want. For and Neo games. is somewhere over there, yes, too. Yeah, Neo is yeah. somewhere over there, yeah. I got to
0: play those at some point, too. I
1: have, I bought Neo 2
0: on sale a little bit ago, and I yeah. have no idea when I'll have time to play it because I also need to play Percent of Five. Um, I have so much to play, Sean. Yeah. I have so much to play. I have Paper Mario. I have a couple of indie games I just got that I'm very excited for. I need to play a lot of games. Yeah.
1: A couple of final notes on Goes to before we close out. One is, um, I think, the most interesting like technical i don't know if it's actually an innovation or if it's just like nobody else has done it this well um but the wind combined with the particle system in ghost of tsushima is just amazing i think it's one of the things that going back to the halo infinite presentation for me at least i think it's one of the things that makes that game look a little bit dull is everything's like still and in ghost of tsushima like the world feels so alive because everything is so reactive to the wind Um, in particular I think the story of sucker punch of them starting the generation with like them showing off the big flashy particle effects that are possible on PS4 with their superhero action game of infamous. And it's got all the crazy neon shit and smoke and fire. And it's like that game had just the most gorgeous particles. It was like, because particle stuff was one of the most like touted features of the new GPU GPUs. It was like the main like UE4 thing that they showed in that tech demo. So it's like, they started off with that. And it's this big flashy version of Particles. And then at the end of the generation, they kind of close out the PS4 with this much more tasteful, fascinating, and I think way more powerful implementation of the same kind of system. But instead of using it for crazy neon lasers, it's leaves and fireflies and butterflies and birds. And it is just like magical to me it is it's the kind of thing that aesthetically
0: i've never seen a video game do it and one of the major reasons to play in kurosawa mode because in black and white particles look even more striking and it's it's one of the big things they're borrowing from movies like that is how they would make use of like the touchstone for me is always the black rain in seven samurai um and they certainly when there is rain and snow in this game it it gets that across perfectly um if you ever see like some really striking particles just switch over to kurosawa mode for a second even if that's not your main play style and you'll be like ooh, pretty Yes, it's very and i agree it's it's that combined with the seemingly impossible load times yes i do not know how they did it i think they probably wished on a monkey's paw and something will happen the ps5s will all explode there will be a red ring of death i don't know it feels like they cheated somehow like
1: literally it's, it's sort of like how it feels when you play a naughty dog game in terms of like the quality of the environments and character models it's just like did you like secretly plug a, a extra gpu into the side of the ps4 or something like how is this even possible like how the fuck because we particularly just because i feel like we have been in this land of massive load times for most games for most of this generation um which is why like the ssd clearly is such a needed hardware advancement for the next gen but yeah it is it is almost like counterintuitive to then like have all this like and then games will load instantly it's like well I've been playing Ghost of Tsushima right have you played this
0: fucking game because like it's doing it I don't know how this is doing uh it. Doom Eternal was the other one this year yes Doom Eternal surprisingly like innovative on that space because I did not think we would start getting that until we just bought a PS5 but yeah. there you go it's and then, uh, I'm I'm willing to bet
1: that there's probably a bunch of like technical engineers at Sucker Punch that are like looking at that SD and like this was literally my my entire job for like five years on this game was just to make it so... like I've worked like day and night to make it so the load times didn't destroy everything and it's like the best load times and now you don't even have to worry about it. I bet that is a lot of people's lives of yeah. working on video games. Uh,
0: hopefully they can go do more fun stuff Yeah. Uh, in, in game design. I don't mean leave their jobs. <laughs> but yes. Ghost of Tsushima. Very good. Anything else to say? Uh, and it has further proved
1: uh that the touchpad is cool and and why the touchpad should stay around and why more video games
0: should use the touchpad i will say sean i have thought about your arguments for the touchpad a lot playing this game and it's it's like yes if if more games can do this and they should this is great yeah because i think for me a real make or break moment for this game
1: is in the first hour of the game when it's like the very focused we're setting up the story and you go and you fight kotuhan and then you get knocked off the bridge all that stuff um you can't sheath your sword and i and and i was looking at like the menu i'm like how do you sheath you have to be able to sheath your sword if you can't sheath the sword i'm done with this game like people listening to this podcast for a long time know that i'm like it is a thing i really like i like having that kind of like minute control over that and particularly for a fucking samurai game like that is like this you know sekudo you can't sheathe the sword but that's so action focused don't need it but here it's like I need to be able to shoot the sword. Be like not being able to, to holster your gun in Red Dead 2. It would just be madness to me. And it's not like the touchpad functionality isn't highlighted in the controls menu. In the pause menu. It was like this is crazy. And then once they, you get the late title card and you're actually in the open world. That's when the touchpad functionality becomes available to you. Because they open up the guiding wind. And I swiped on the touchpad and I saw a little, like, the little icon that pops up. You can kind of faintly see the other ones. Like okay, and I swiped right, and he took his sword out, and then I swiped right again, and he like ran the blunt edge of the blade along the sheath, and then sheathed it. And like okay, right here, ten out of ten. Like you did it. You know that's not a perfect ten out of ten, but it means you're on the path to it. Like you can be there because if you couldn't sheath the sword, this game would top out at a seven out of ten if I was giving you a score to review. Like you couldn't get higher than that if you couldn't sheathe the sword. But they did it. They have- it's all
0: thanks to the PS4 touchpad and very you know because this game is arguably overcrowded with controls um yeah, there's it a lot of art.
1: like toggleable menus and like that's got like
0: four different radial
1: menus or something in
0: it yeah and and sometimes like i'm i'm like I wish some of the action commands like the like for the the hits were on the shoulder buttons but then I'm like but where would you put the other things that change the controls that's exactly right and and it's because like and I do think we're getting to a point where controllers have too few buttons for the amount of commands and I think the touchpad is a good innovation for that and I also think now that I've played a bunch with the Xbox elite controller. Back buttons just need to start being standard on Um, controllers because there are that would be something that would improve Ghost of Tsushima greatly to me if instead of having to move my thumb off the stick to hit down on the pad to do the heel if I could just hit something on the back of the controller that would be perfect and I feel like the perfect controller might be something that had something like the touchpad where you could do advanced menu style commands which Ghost of Tsushima does very well and then uh, at least two buttons on the back to move some of that off the front. Yeah four is ideal but like i'm disappointed neither the ps5 or series x are are doing that on the on the built-in controllers because that feels like a necessary innovation but the the ps5 at least has the the nice bigger touchpad and i really this this game has me hoping that that at least sony's first party studios will fully embrace it next time And if you're not
1: first party, just make it an option. Just make it a thing where you can assign, like, a direction and that will go straight to map or whatever it is. Like, please. It's, like, so nice. It's just a nice little convenient... Thing that can give you little bonus commands
0: you know it would be great if in the in the uh, maybe this is inaccessibility now but if they could do something in the ps5 settings kind of like how xbox has their accessories mm. app where you can especially on the elite infinitely remap yeah. assign zones and say you have these this is what the vita did have four zones on that and then say put any button on those yeah how great would that be that'd be great yeah yeah
1: it's just yeah it's, it's the touchpad is cool it is so like criminally underused it's yeah. a cool feature
0: yeah because my main frustration with it if, if I haven't been clear over the years is that it, it has been criminally underused I've always thought it had potential and sometimes I just look at them like this is a big dumb waste of plastic when no one uses it which it is if no one's using it yeah but when it's when it goes to Tsushima I'm like yeah it, like this is the rare PS4 game now that I have my elite controller for Xbox where I don't wish I were playing on my elite controller mm-hmm. I'm like this is the way, the way to play it because this is not on that other controller yeah. so yeah all right, Ghost of Tsushima is good. Great game. Yeah. Xbox Games Showcase?
1: Eh. Yeah, you know, it had some stuff.
0: It was fine.
1: It was, yeah, it was like, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the takeaway. It's like, it was fine. The Halo demo was fine. Everything was fine.
0: Nintendo, are you okay? We haven't heard from you in a while. Would like to hear from you. Just know everything's fine. Yeah. Uh, COVID, bad. American government, bad. Yeah.
1: That's our ratings for today. Yes. But Ghost of Tsushima, you're on your way to a 10 out of 10. Good job. Sheathing sword, that's a big plus.